Hey, fucks. What's going on? Party people. This episode of the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace. If you've never been and you need a website, stop what you're doing and go check it out. It's the easiest way to make a website. You you don't have to go to somebody anymore, even though I've gone to somebody in the past. My next website, I'm going to try to make myself. If I had that kind of time, I sort of have that kind of time, but not really. I mean, I guess if you just like put in a few minutes every day, you could do it. Brian's been banging them out while we do podcasts. He does. He's done like twenty websites. It's that easy. It's super easy. It's not just easy. It's um, the the way it's set up. It's 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 set up like they're really good websites. Like it used to be that you had to learn how to fucking HTML shit, and you had to learn how to you know put all those little weird squiggly letters that you never use in an email. You have to figure out how to use all those strange keys and arrows and shit. You don't have to do any of that anymore. Just go to Squarespace. And you don't even have to pay money to try it out. You can go to squarespace.com, try it out, and then if you choose to buy it, use the code word Joe and the number seven, all one word, Joe seven, and you'll save 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, including monthly and annual plans. It's a sweet deal. You can set up an online store. They work on Android phones, iPads, iPhones. They're pretty dope websites and it's easy to do. Check it out, man. Do you remember that guy? Yeah. He used to go, what was his name? Check it out, man. Check it out, man. He was in Scarface, Angel um, Salazar. Mm, Angel Salazar. Call. That's a good uh, Yeah, that was his whole thing. Check it out. Check it and out, And he used man. to be everywhere. And everywhere you would hear just a crazy Angel Salazar partying story. <laughs> like Angel there, Salazar there was here. pictures of him like that, that, uh, that Mitzi's got on her wall at the store in, mm-hmm. in La Jolla. And he's like in a half shirt, cut <laughs> off with his hair feathered, a bandana, and like rollerblades in one hand. And it's just so weird. You're I like, met him Damn. once a few years ago when I was on tour with uh, Charlie Murphy and uh, John Heffron. He's What's good, he doing? Good guy. He's doing clubs still. You know? Really? Yeah. There's those guys, man. Like, go to Long Island. Go to Long Island and go, you know, like, see the guys who are, like, the local Long Island guys that are still around. They've yeah. been around for a long time. Funny yeah. guys, too, like Joey Cola. Right. Funny guy. Yeah. When you, do just, it, you do stand-up for that long. Yeah, they just, but they're, you know, they just sort of, they stay around, sort of on the periphery. <laughs> And for whatever reason, the rest of the world doesn't find out about him. It's strange. Well, I don't, I don't think, you know, it's funny. I don't think I'll ever stop doing stand-up regardless of you want to do it for a lot of people. But, I, you know, stand-up is one of those things. Who is that great philosopher who said man's never more himself when at play? I think and that was Angel Salazar who said that. Angel, Angel, Angel Salazar. And, the, the, the <laughs> and idea, then he says, check it out. But, but the idea is I, when I'm not on the road, when I'm not doing stand-up, you know, I, I really start to miss it. So I, I can understand that. You just you do it because it's when you're the most authentic, maybe. You do it because you're trying to get the fuck away from your house. If you that's also true. go to onnit.com, that's our last sponsor, O-N-N-I-T, you will see that although we only have the chimpanzee tribal bell in, primal bell, tribal bell, primal, primal, tribal, all those douchey words. We have a new gorilla one coming out. It's going to be fucking badass. I'm getting it. Yeah, it's uh, 72 pounds. It's, it's sick. It's awesome. The, the sculptures are cool as fuck. And we've got a few more coming after that. We're uh, slowly trickling them in. Very difficult to make. Very difficult to produce. Uh, difficult also because we make sure they're balanced. Um, the the thing is an entirely... Like, if you look at a regular kettlebell, it's very simple. It's very 
you know, it's a symmetrical shape. The, the circle and then the handle is on it. It's a nice big thick handle. They balance. It sets in the middle. But when you have a sculpture like a chimpanzee, not that easy. So we had to map it out and design it and make sure that when you work out with it, it works exactly like a regular kettlebell. And that's the same for uh, the gorilla one as well. And on the other ones we have coming out too, we had to change faces and redesign things and move things around. It's a real pain in the ass. But we wanted to make sure that they looked badass and they were also functional. They're going to use my face apparently too. There's word of that. I for hear. a million pounds. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what There's I heard. Like for a million pounds. Yeah. A million pounds. They use them for those... Kettlebell uh, with my face. Those... Pacific Rim robots, they're going to train with them. Um, if you've never used kettlebells before, I always tell everybody, but I, I think it bears repeating, um, you got to go to a trainer. Go go pay somebody 100 bucks or whatever the hell they charge, and someone who knows what they're doing, and just videotape it and just get them to go through the basic movements of it. Start slow. Don't lift a shitload of weight. Lift light weights correctly. I have a 35-pound kettlebell. That chimpanzee kettlebell is 35 pounds. And I, I know you would look at a manly man like myself and you say, Joe Rogan, what could you possibly do with 35 pounds that would even get you tired? Play volleyball with it or what? But you, can, you get exhausted. Trust me. The one that we have that we sell on, on it, it's called the Keith Weber Cardio, Extreme Cardio Workout. And these DVDs that we sell, Extreme Cardio and Extreme 2, they're fucking insane. 35-pound kettlebell. I've done them with a 50. You want to have a goddamn heart attack. It's insane. It's, a, it's amazing. Do it like a 45-pounder. How long is the workout for? Well, there's a, a series of workouts. There's a bunch of workouts. It's like it's almost really how long can you do it. Yeah. You know, it's like a, a bunch of them that go back and forth and back and forth. You know, but the, the once you start doing reps, you start doing like windmills and cleans and presses and over and over and over again. It's just unbelievably good as far as like strength and conditioning workouts the best as far and it gives you great cardio too and it gives you functional strength go to on it that's o-n-n-i-t uh as i mentioned the uh the results of the alpha brain test the um what are they called um Double blind, double blind placebo tests, which were very positive, will be released soon. We just got we got to get them published, but uh, we're also on uh, onto another one, onto another larger test, uh, large scale, um, even more expensive test, just because we think it's necessary uh, to make sure that people don't have any questions about you know whether or not something's effective. We don't want any claims of snake oil. No one's trying to rip you off. The way we have it set up at Onnit is all all the supplements that you buy, whether it's Shroom Tech or Alpha Brain, the supplements all have a 30-day or a 90-day 30-pill money-back guarantee. So if you buy the first 30 pills and within 90 days you say, this is bullshit, this doesn't do anything for me, you get 100% of your money back. You don't even have to send the product back. The reason being is because we're sure that everything that we sell does what it claims. And you're going to enjoy it, whether it's New Mood, which is very simple, scientifically proven. It's 5-HTP. It improves your brain's ability to produce serotonin. You produce more. Um, there's also uh, L-tryptophan, which converts to 5-HTP. All that stuff is great for your mood. That's real. Like there's, in fact, they tell people who are on SSRIs to not take 5-HTP because you can get too much serotonin. Yeah. They they tell you to avoid that and just take their pharmaceutical medication. Not saying there's anything wrong with pharma pharmaceuticals, right. but I am saying that you can get a boost in your mood from taking something like New Mood, and it's guaranteed. Guaranteed. Um, use a code name Rogan, save 10% off any supplements. Brian Callen is here, and we're finna get busy because that's yeah, what we man. do. That's what we do. We're going hunting again this November together Can't with Steve Ranella. We don't fuck around. We get the bag three We're back deer, in action. Three deer each. Boom. Shalak lock. Meat. Boom. Here we go. Joe Rogan Podcast. Check it out. 
the Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Jesus Louisus. Brian motherfucking Callan, also known as, by the way... Or the kid. I refer to myself as the kid. Whenever I'm on set now, I make the cameraman. Everybody refer to me as the kid. Like they're like the kid. Can you just move to the left? I'm like, what yes, sets I can. have you been on? What have you been doing? I just did a uh, stint on a movie called Flock of Dudes, and uh, that's it. I've just been doing. I like to take long, long breaks between my acting. Uh, but I just did a movie. I did a movie a little bit with uh, Elizabeth Banks, who's 40 and couldn't look better. Who's Elizabeth? Elizabeth she Banks from? is. Um, she's been in a ton of movies. I don't know. She's not the chick from Showgirls. No, that's no. Elizabeth Perkins or something. <laughs> who knows? But this, this. Uh, don't you Banks, say who ner- knows about Showgirls, dude? Yeah. Just don't. I actually Elizabeth know her because I used to date her friend when I first got to L.A. So who the Showgirls girl? Yeah. Elizabeth yeah. Hurley. Yeah. No, no it's not Elizabeth no, not Hurley. Elizabeth don't Hurley. don't ever chime in if you're wrong, Berkeley, you fuck. Berkeley. 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 There it is. Elizabeth yes, Berkeley, Berkeley, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Um, what a pretty face and what a, you know, yeah. okay ass. Not Nothing special. Um, don't believe she's a dancer. Before we start, I just want to, uh, <laughs> can I just hawk a date? Yeah, is, before we start. Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> this weekend at the Schomburg Improv, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Brian Callen. Uh, enjoy That's, your fruit compo. People are thinking about going, they're like, this guy's too Forget much. This guy, He's man. too much. He's just too much. He's too full of energy. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to be in that presence. I just got it. I know exactly. Are you, are you like ready? This. Are you ready for hunting again? We're Dude, going back. Here's what I'm worried about. <laughs> you, you had to choose November 21st in Wisconsin. You think the Missouri breaks was cold in October? We're gonna freeze. Yeah, it's gonna be cold. Why are you yeah. such a pussy? Because I am a pussy. Don't when it comes to, I got a long neck and I can't conserve heat. It's That's not, why. It's wear clothes. I don't have, a, wear short, warm I don't have a short neck <laughs> and wide wide center of gravity. You retain heat. We were freezing on that boat, and you come by me, and you were like, Hee-hee. you had icicles on your beard, and you were smiling at me. Listen, I was like, dude, what are you smiling at? I grew I can't up move. in Boston, and I know how to deal with the heat. Oh. I know how to deal with the cold. Rather, you just deal with it. Yeah, you just deal with it. You just accept it. Are you, we you sleeping in tents z- again? No, 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 not this time. What this are we time doing? We're gonna sleep in a cabin. Really? Yeah, yeah. We're gonna have like it's gonna be like a real place where we can you have a bed, the whole deal. Oh, Everything's nice. gonna be beautiful. I can't wait. We're gonna have a good time. That's man. no problem. Man. We're gonna have a good time. Don't be a pussy. No, I'm it's not. gonna be fine. I get to bag those people deer. live there. Those people live there all year My dad's round. Dad's from Wisconsin. They're fine. Yeah, yeah. They're I've been fine. up to the North Woods. I bet you have. Yeah, I really have. You've been to Chicago in January. I sure have. I've done a few gigs in Chicago in January. It's like, whoo, yeah, it's ridiculous. Whoo, they don't play. They don't play around up there. Uh, they don't play around up there. I just got back from Alaska. You did? Yeah, I went salmon fishing up there. I didn't tell you about that? No. Oh, Ari Shafir and I went up there. Well, you know Ari, that outdoorsman. You know Ari that Shafir can hang. I love him. He can hang. I bet he can. He can hang. He finds his way through, right? He's a smart motherfucker. Yeah. He knows how to do anything he wants to do. That's what it is. He gets good at anything he wants to get good at. Yep. He's just, you know... He's the real deal. Well, what did you did you catch any salmon? Yeah, we you know, a lot I went to Alaska and went and and fishing. Did you really? Yes. Oh, well, I'm glad you're turning this around on yourself. Well, I caught nothing, so it's I'm important. asking you if you. <laughs> I literally caught nothing. Oh, and by the way, we spent six hundred dollars to take a go deep sea fishing. Me and my father. Guess who got sick? Both of us. We were like, hey, can we turn this boat around? Yeah, you so got to hear about you your. You got to go with a guide, and yeah. then you get salmon that big. Oh, what is that? It's <laughs> a dinosaur. What is that? It's a forty pound salmon. That's I ridiculous. Caught. Yeah, we caught a ton of them. We caught. Seven of them one day, and then um, another day we caught uh, we caught four, and I caught a wild rainbow trout too. Now, did you catch them as they were coming to die? 
Uh, yes, right. yes. I mean, essentially, they 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 don't live. You know, they they come back up, they spawn, and right. that's a wrap, son. Did There's you see nothing any, uh, going on? Did you see any bear? We did not. We saw eagles. We saw a lot yeah. of eagles, but we were on the lookout for bear. Saw five moose inside of two days. Moose well, are everywhere up there. Yeah, it's they're amazing. Also, they're also, they say, way more dangerous than a lot of animals. Oh yeah, we saw. By the way, two. By the way, by the way, by the way, we saw two of the moose had babies with them. Yeah. Twice. So out of the four, we saw two mamas and two babies in two completely different areas. Wow. So those are the most dangerous. When you yeah. see a mother with her baby, and we saw a mother with her baby on a tiny island. Our friend Matt, who's a, the guide that mm-hmm. we uh, went out there with, he took us to his dad as an island with like a bunch of cabins on it. We took a boat out to this island, and there's a moose and her baby on the island. And we're like, oh, shit, this is a small-ass island. It's like yeah. a block. Yeah. And the moose is like, what you doing here, bitch? And we're like, oh, shit. Yeah. I guess it swam there. <laughs> it's a horse. Yeah, a horse that swam. Yeah, you never think of a horse swimming They like can that. swim. They I'm s- sure. They swim like in the middle of the water. Like it's deep as fuck, and they swim right through it. And by the way, that water, if I remember correctly, even in the summer in the North Atlantic, you got about 10 minutes. You fall in that water. You got about 10 minutes That's not the Atlantic, fellow. That's the Pacific. That's what I meant. I meant the Pacific. <laughs> Don't ever embarrass me on a podcast like that again. I'm doing it just to help you. Because uh, no, you're going to get the emails. No, I meant, the, I meant the, emails. the area of the Pacific that's closer to the Atlantic. Yeah, that part when it flips around real quick. When it flips around. Oh, you and your technical ideas about what a sea is. Uh, yeah, but you got about, I think, 10 minutes to, to live. In that place is so there. gangster. Yeah. It's such a beautiful place, too. Have you been to Alaska yet? I have. You got to do stand up there. Really? Fuck yes. It's one of the greatest places in the world. Where? Anchorage. I'll go. You gotta go. Gotta go. It's amazing. First of all, these people are cool as shit. All right? They're like, they're like, the coolest people, like from Portland or Boulder, like those yeah. kind of people, yeah. except they're living in the Pacific. I mean, as far up there as you can get. Right. You know, a hop, skip, and a jump away from Russia. Yeah, I mean, they're way the fuck up there, past Canada. It's mm-hmm. cold as fuck. It was three o'clock in the morning when we leave the and bar, light. and it's bright out. Wow. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, when we were out there, it was actually the temperature was nice. It was in the seventies, but the mosquitoes are unfucking relenting. Oh yeah, unrelenting. <laughs> You've never seen anything like it. It's like they know they don't. They only have a certain amount of time. So like, you get out of your car, and there's a hundred of them on you in wow. your face within seconds. It's what? incredible. They swarm you. One person with malaria in in Alaska could kill the entire state. Yeah. They would just spread like wildfire through these fucking cunty mosquitoes. They're unbelievable. Like, you've never seen anything like it. You get out of your car and it's a cloud of them just... I don't think off works with those. Kinds yeah, it works. Of, it does yeah, DDT. We used uh, whatever shit we they bought. We bought it at REI. You know, mm. it works. It works great. It's you need genius. It. You need it. Probably gives you cancer. Right. I mean, who knows what the fuck might that be, stuff might be does. worth it though when you got a cloud of mosquitoes. Yeah, believe me. I was in Utah last week and I didn't use it in time. Now I got I got bites all over my arms. Those well, cold areas, man. Well, I was in Indonesia and I had to carry a sulfur coil. You know. Oh, by the way. Uh, by the way, yeah. By the way, you, when you're in Indonesia, please don't think things. that you're going to use. Please don't think that off is going to work because those tropical bugs scoff at it. They laugh at it. So Do you they? had to carry a sulfur coil and burn it, and that's what kept the mosquitoes away from you. Okay? Is that real? Yes. Like this, how does off not work? Uh, because they're just too. They don't care. They're really? tropical mosquitoes and tropical bugs. So we would carry a sulfur coil. And you burn a sulfur, you hold it in your hand, and you burn it, 
as you walk. How about that? Oh. And that's what keeps them away. Does it work? Yeah. How Sulfur well? Coil does. And because we would – you'd track in in the middle of the like, – like when it was still dark. And then you set up a hammock because you don't want to sleep on the floor because bugs will get you. So you can set up a hammock. You lie in the hammock. You wait for the orangutan above you to wake up. Now when you're and, and then when the whole forest wakes up, it's louder than Grand Central Station. It's you never heard anything like it in my life in your life. The forest in the tropical rainforest uh, louder than uh, put put me on the corner of Forty Second and Fifth Avenue. It's louder, and I'm not exaggerating at all. Is it mostly bugs or is it's it bugs, birds, monkeys? All together, just yes. squawking. Different crickets, different you know grass, whatever it is. Just and when the whole forest wakes up, you're like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I mean, monks, but birds like, go, 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 go. you're just like, are you kidding me? And it's mostly the bugs. It's mostly the different bugs that are doing weird things like rubbing their legs together or, or frogs, you know, that are, you know, and I just couldn't believe it. And you better carry a sulfur coil. You freaked getting- me out when you told me about your first experiences there when back when you were thinking about being like a bug scientist because yeah. uh, you told me about the posts that they had on the, the – where you slept uh-huh. and you had to cover them with turpentine. That's right. Because of the ants. Because the ants, when they're foraging, what they'll do is they'll, they'll just crawl over you. No problem if they're hunting. You better have turpentine on those posts because they'll find you. They'll come up those posts. You're in your – you know – tent or you're you're in your bed and they'll come and kill you they'll come and eat you and you can hear them you can hear them there's so many of them that you can hear a weird sort of hum so uh that's you hear them walking yeah apparently you can hear them when they're on the march when there are you know millions of them and they're hunting you can hear the movement of the ground or whatever it is as they move as they forage through it actually makes a sound there's millions of them people people don't understand this is a real fact that the weight of human beings is equal to the weight of ants in the entire world yeah just think about how many ants it would take to equal a person Mm -hmm. how many millions of ants you'd have to stack on top of each other to equal the weight of a normal person well the there's an equal number of pounds in the world of human as there are of ants. Well, I, I got my mind really blown. I had a guy on my podcast recently, James Rollins, who um, is a like a right. He's like the Michael Crichton, and he he went and spoke to some mathematicians at NASA, and the latest. Um, they, they had all these really weird theories, which is we're basically living in a hologram. The, have you heard about this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a blue mind. Then they said – then they said – and we said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, if you were to take all the, ma- all the space out of the atoms we're made of – so if you take all the space, so you took all the electrons, pro- you know, whatever that surrounds the nucleus. If you put it all together, you could take every human being that's ever lived, the, ma- the actual mass that we're made of, and put it into a baseball – so then it raises the question of what in the world is holding us together? We're at, if you look closely enough, we are way more space. And, and what seems to be creating solid matter is the relationship between uh, energy fields. There's, there's no way that they, as they look closer, there's no way they can actually point to like what we're touching right now, like this wood. It's really, it's yeah, just, it's, it's very, so mind blowing. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I, when he said that, he goes, you could take every human being that's ever lived in, if you put, if you actually took what they're really made of, the matter that the atoms are made of, you could put it into a baseball. What? Stop it. Every human being. Yes. He went through all this, like, uh, he, we just did this, did the podcast. He went through all, all of this crazy stuff he was talking to them about. 
Yeah, I had a guy um, from JPL, this uh, Dr. Richard Terrell, and uh, he was uh, talking to me about uh, about simulation theory. Tettle? Terrell. Mm. I can't read this. Um, he was talking to me about simulation theory, and he was talking to me about the exponential growth of computers, that literally the amount of computations per second that the uh, the computers did, the largest computers, back when the Apollo moon landing program was going on, the amount of computations per second that they were capable of is the same as a key fob on a car. <laughs> That's so mind-boggling how, where we're going. That is fucking beyond insane. <laughs> a key fob on a car is actually faster. It's so crazy. It moves faster. It makes more computations per second than that giant yeah, computer. It's I mean, so it's not capable of the same thing, but sure. as far as computations per second, right. your cell phone certainly is. Your cell phone's capable of far more, yeah. far more than any computer back then did, which was the size of a room. You know, and they we were what we're talking about is one of the episodes of this uh, new show that I'm doing, which premieres tomorrow on Sci-Fi. Joe Rogan questions everything. One of the, the subjects is the subject of simulation theory about how insane it is that you can one day rest assured, without a doubt, 100 percent, they will create an artificial reality that is indiscernible from the reality that you're experiencing right now. There's not a goddamn doubt about it, not not one millionth of one percent doubt that if human beings stay alive, if we don't blow ourselves up, get killed in a pandemic, or hit by an asteroid, if any of those things don't happen, then within X amount of years, fill, fill in the blanks, whether it's a hundred, a thousand, there's going to be a time where the computation power, the ability to manipulate neurons is going to be at a level that you are going to be able to insert an artificial world into someone's mind. And then you're not going to so be able to nuts. know whether or not you're in that mind or whether you're in the real the world. Real mind, yeah. Are you in an artificial world or are you in the real world? But here's, here's where it gets really freaky. What if you're in the artificial world and inside that artificial world, you create an artificial world? That's where things get fractal, which is essentially the nature of the entire universe itself. When right. you boil things down, when you when you get really small, things get really big, mm. you know. And when you're talking about all the air that's inside of an atom, you know, all the space that's inside the atom, well, that sounds a whole lot like the whole universe, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that sound like it? The, sure does. Yeah, it's a mini. It's a mini universe. Isn't every it? galaxy is essentially, and look at the distance between galaxies. A when you look at galaxies and you look at them, and they like they look like stars because they're so small and so far away but you see how far there is between them and the next galaxy and then you realize that that little small dot you're looking at is actually probably three or four hundred billion stars mm. including a supermassive black hole in the center of it that's one half of one percent of the mass of the entire galaxy and they go on forever mm. and there's this massive amount of space i mean it's essentially a giant atom it really well, is almost it, the same it, it, thing there's that theory that everything whether it's the cell a red blood cell or skin cell or you know we are all it's all essentially 
um, mini universes. They, they all mirror each other on smaller levels. So, so you got the whole universe, and then if you look at a cell, if you actually get into the minutia of a cell and really look at everything that's going on, it's every bit as complicated as everything around us. It's, it's just a mini version of that. So we are reflections, different levels of reflections of the exact same thing, just on smaller or larger uh, scales. Which is why the concept of creating a simulation and then inside that simulation creating a simulation is so fucking nuts Mm -hmm. it's like you they the real problem comes when what you can simulate is exactly the same as what you can experience outside of the simulation then which one is which right and why is there a difference what says who so because you can knock on it well guess what you can knock on it when you're in there too so it's real then then it becomes real this guy james rollins was again saying that a lot they were also talking about string theory parallel universes right the notion that there are different realities right next to each other and maybe that's exactly what what it is that's where the hologram this weird idea that i can't remember how he was describing it but he he um let's just go to the podcast uh, but he was he was talking about how there is like this um it's like a third sort of well it's basically a hologram basically the idea that there's a there's a ref, um uh this what we're seeing here is just a, re, a reflective reality of something else that's something I don't I don't know I don't even have it's that. too hard I we're too even... stupid to, to actually repeat what these people have like that's worked true. their lives to <laughs> it's like so rude to get oh man Adam it's just like a whole universe yeah like, I know and it they're is. like what the fuck it's it no it's not it's so Jesus da- let me, I did my doctorate in that you fuck oh, God. it's um it's it's so incredibly complicated but thank God someone's doing that work what, you know what? He blew me away. He said that the Greeks had kind of had this assumption, had this thought. It was like a theory. So like in ancient Greece, like mm-hmm. this is not a new theory. The mm-hmm. idea that you're creating your own universe in your mind and that you live inside of some artificial play that's being. Well, it's what in, in fact, it's, it's, it's Plato's allegory of the cave. Mm. The idea that we live in a cave and reality for most of us is simply reflections on the wall. It's it's uh, it, that's exactly what this hologram guy was saying. So so Plato's allegory of the cave is that we are all in the dark and we what we think is real is actually just just a um, uh, superimposed image, imagery on a on a on a cave wall, and where you have to get out of that, you have to climb up and follow the light, and then come back and tell people about it. But that, that's the allegory of the cave, which is everything is basically um, forms. Uh, there is the notion that you can you can you may not know like the the, um, the idea is that you you may not be able to draw a perfect triangle. Okay, you, it would always be off a little bit, even mm-hmm. if you had all the instruments. But you can imagine a perfect triangle. You can imagine it, and so the idea is that. For uh, another great example is, um, th- this blew my f- uh, fucking mind. You have a mathematician. He's 175 years ago, comes out of a dark room and says, uh, uh, I just came up with a mathematical equation. Uh, By the way, it's 300 pages long. Uh, It has zero relevance to the material world. Uh, And oh, by the way, I'm going to die now. See ya. Dies. And here's this equation that's sitting there. 175 years later, some guy is measuring the difference between, like, the relationship between quarks and how it relates to this and how it relates to, and they're trying to make a gyroscope at NASA or something or some kind of a telescope. And they go, hey, guess what? This guy, this mathematician 175 years ago who came up with this mathematical equation, what we're working on right now, that mathematical equation is very relevant to this physical reality. So this guy has a 
dream, comes up with a mathematical uh, like equation that 175 years later bears physical reality that we're using in our cell phone or we're using you know, in a telescope or whatever it is. It, it, it takes on a physical reality. So whatever this guy imagined 175 years ago in his mind, for whatever reason, was put there and is used 175 years later for something very physical in the physical world. Jesus It's Christ. weird, man. And he's like, why was it – why – what happened? Why did that guy think of that? He was able to imagine a reality that had no bearing on the world today and 175 years later it did. That's, that's where I get really – Kind of, and I'm not. I'm doing a shitty job of explaining all this. I stuff. know what you're saying. What, what, what you're basically saying is that someone had an insight into the way things work that no one else had achieved before, and he was so far ahead that no one could figure it out until 175 years later. Somebody revisited it. But it was also more than an insight. It was actually a physical, reality. measurable reality mm-hmm. that he proved on paper, mm-hmm. mathematically. Somebody's measuring the inside of a conch shell or, and how it relates to a beehive spires or whatever and all of a sudden goes, this mathematical equation is exactly – is, is proving my theory. This, mm-hmm. it, it's measuring what I'm using for this particular physical reality. You know what that is? Mm-hmm. It's a great example of why we need different kinds of people in this world. We need a we need a goddamn broad spectrum. Damn right, dude. I was watching this Joey Diaz video today. Uh, Ari Shafir has this new thing on ComedyCentral.com. It's called This Is Not Happening. And it's all people just telling the most fucked up stories. It's like stand-up comics, but telling like insane stories of their life. And Joey Diaz told one about being on heroin, about doing heroin and doing drugs for years. And, and it was so fucking funny. And I was sitting there watching it, and I was thinking, thank God there's guys like Joey Diaz out there. Yeah. To not just so I could laugh and be around him and have fun, but so that I'd know what this stuff is like. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to do heroin. Okay, I'm not going to do it. It's not on the menu. Okay? He's your, he's your guinea pig. But when you talk to a guy that's done heroin as much as Joey has and done coke as much as Joey, and he has these great stories about it and the, and the harrowing, harrowing feelings of, of, of addiction that he can relay to you without you ever ever actually having to do them so important and it's also important to have mathematicians because i'm not fucking you give me that big pile of paper you (laughs) might as well have given that to a chimp of course shit ain't going nowhere of course it's it's not i don't have the time i'm I'm gonna be beaten off i'm gonna take naps i'm gonna want to work out i'm gonna look at my biceps (laughs) in the mirror (laughs) me too i have to get up and eat all the time i'm gonna go play pool i'm gonna watch tv i'm not gonna do that i'm pretty i'm pretty disciplined but I'm only disciplined with shit I like to right, do. Right. I'm disciplined with jujitsu. I'm disciplined with working out. I'm disciplined with doing comedy, with work. I like doing those things, mm-hmm. though. So it's not really discipline. Mm-hmm. The real discipline is trying to do math. Yeah. That's fucking discipline. Well, especially math theory, where Oof. you're thinking up these really these crazy theorems that, that don't have any numbers. Not even numbers. It's like letters and, and weird equations, and, and you're, you're – <laughs> You're following some thread that then, you know, the answer is, and the answer is 170 pages long. What? And somebody out there and a bunch of mathematicians go... Brilliant. Well, how Guess about that what? Russian guy that found the the, the like this in, he impossible was theory? Fifty-seven pages long, 
and they wanted to give him a million dollars. Like I don't want that money, right? Because he said, "I'm, I'm actually you're giving you're giving me the money. I'm just the radio transmitter. I was just all I did was channel it. It was always up there. Give it to the theorem in the sky. I just happen to have been. I have a certain wiring that was able to channel the 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 equation. But what was funny about that, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, is they didn't actually even know if the question was valid. They didn't even know if the the they didn't. They, there was a theory out there that that was actually a legitimate math theorem or question. Like they didn't even know if that was something you should even you were able to think about. They didn't even know if it was a reality <laughs> to think about. And he was like, "Yes, it is." Furthermore, here's the answer. Well, there's that's what that is more proof that there's there's it's so important to have a broad spectrum of people. Mm-hmm. It's very important. I mean, you and I are not going to build a good house no. if we don't have an architect. If we don't have a carpenter, we're going to do a shit job. We're going to make a tent. We're going to make some shitty lean-to, and we're just going to have to deal with that until yeah. we. Uh, Dig up some books that some right. smart people figured out on how to make a house. But it goes back to what I was saying about the allegory of the cave. You may not be able to achieve perfection, but you can imagine perfection. Mm. You, you may not be able to achieve that theorem, but that theorem can still inspire something else in you. And that that in itself is where we are connected. That in itself is why other people have tremendous value if you open yourself up to those kind of people. Yeah. I always say that you you it's very important for young people – I always talk about this – and we don't live in a world that fosters this. We live in a world that's that's very much about you, your appetites. How does this affect me specifically? It's very important, I think, to 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 expose yourself to things that force you to reach beyond yourself. That, that that's where um, somebody who does something that has nothing to do with you, but learning about it or at least being inspired by how difficult it might be. It could be opera. It could be some great piece of art that you don't understand. That's not a bad thing to get involved in or at least read about because it'll it can it not only does it force you kind of to go beyond your your own experience but i think it, it you never know how it's going to inspire you you don't know how it's what it's going to spark inside of you for me i derive a great deal of inspiration from just being awed by that which i don't understand yeah i love to go see shit i can't do like yeah. that's one of the reasons why i like to go see musicians <clears throat> mm-hmm. you know i love to go see live music because i have zero talent mm-hmm. i have zero talent zero desire zero ability mm-hmm. like i know some comedians that really wish they were rock stars I've never had a, a fucking single second where I thought about being a singer or uh, in a band or playing a music, musical instrument. If you, when are you going to be in Florida next? I don't know. Not okay. planned. There's a group called the Flyers and this kid named Patrick Farinas. He plays a guitar. I'm, I'm just going to – I mean if you're in Florida, if you ever find this guy, Patrick Farinas of the Flyers, he plays a guitar <clears> – <throat> Better than any I've never seen anything like it. And by the way, I've been I was with musicians. You can't say any more by the ways. Huh? You're done. What's that? You have no more by the ways okay. for the show. You uh, just that was your last that? by so the way. Funny. All right, well, just remind me. Remind me. I want I want I want to dime every time. Did I you do really it. say? Did, do I keep saying that? Yeah, I don't. That's I don't your hear um. Myself. That's your um. Is it? Is it? Yeah. He he plays a guitar so well that I was with other musicians and they he he jumped up for a guest spot and they these two guitars came up to me and they were like. I've never seen – I've been playing the guitar my whole life and I've devoted my What's life to – What's his name? Patrick Farinas. He goes, I've never Is seen he anything online? like it. Does he have I anything online? I think he's online. online. Yeah, How is he not online? online? How is it possible he's not yeah, online? Yeah, he should be online. How old is he? 30. Well, how come we haven't heard of him? Because he – and I talked to him about it. He, he's, he's now doing original music before he was doing a lot of cover stuff. Oh. And now he's doing – and I said, you got a responsibility, bro, which is you've got to start doing – you've got to start doing – 
uh, your own original expression. Because there's one thing to be technically brilliant and to, to be, and he improvises within it. Yeah. I mean, he also improvises. I mean, dude, he does. He uh, he he'll he'll do an amalgam. He'll do like a composite set where you're just you're just like, what in the world is he doing with a the guitar? There's I've never nothing seen wrong with like doing a little bit of cover band action, like a few cover songs, but that's a real trap for young bands that want to perform in bars yes. and make a living because people don't want to hear your fucking original songs for the most part, yeah. especially as like background music where they're trying to get laid. Right. You know, they want to hear "Sweet Home Alabama." That's right. All right, sing it, bitch. That's right. We don't want to hear you know my time on the lake. But you get to a point when you when you reach physical mastery like this guy has, and and and, and he's gone beyond that. He's very innovative with the guitar. It's not mm-hmm. like he's not copying Clapton. He's doing his own thing. There's a big you know. difference though between that and writing your own music. There's a giant difference. It's like the ability to tell a joke, you know, that you stole from someone, and the ability to write a joke like that yourself. That's we, right. we can all name a few people that can't do one of those things. Mm-hmm. We all know a few guys that are really successful yeah. that have uh, made a career out of ripping off other people's ideas because the fact they can't do both. Right. This is the dude right here. Oh, there he is. Yeah, look at him. Watch him. He's shredding. That's Dude, what they he call does, shredding. He does the craziest things on a guitar. That's one thing. <laughs> That's not that Joe Satriani type shit, right? I like that he's fat too. <laughs> he's he's lost weight now, but he's a monster, dude. <laughs> he's a monster. He's playing guitar with his face right yeah. now, folks. Yeah. That's this guitar playing you're hearing right now is with this dude's mouth. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Yeah, he's a nut. I've never seen. And he like lives that. in Florida. Yep. It's weird that that seems to be the only good thing that comes out of Florida is occasionally they have some good musicians. Yep. Everything else sucks. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't. My I have family members that live there, folks. I love people in Florida. Don't get me wrong. My actual parents live in Florida. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. Honestly, let's be honest. Nancy Grace. Yeah. Nancy Grace would starve to death if it wasn't for Florida. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Bitch would have nothing to talk about. That's a good joke. Barely. But, (laughs) you know, it's like they came up, like Skinner came out of Florida. Mm -hmm. There's been some good bands out of Florida. But, like, name a good comedian that came out of Florida. Yeah. I'm waiting. I know. I don't know. I guess Tom Rhodes. Did Tom Rhodes come out of Florida? I feel like Tom Rhodes. I'm sure they're Orlando, yeah. I think, yeah, Tom Rhodes is from Orlando. I just appreciate comedy or a musical instrument or anything that takes a really long time to get good at. <laughs> yeah, I had a buddy. I had a buddy that, uh, <laughs> I got to dance around this without giving out any names. I have a buddy that, um, you know, during the 80s, especially, stand up comedy was pretty fucking wild okay there was zero accountability there was um there was no emailing there was no i mean and people got coked up and they did some wild shit and you you basically it was just a story you didn't have to worry about someone like facebook picturing you tied up with a fucking a hundred dicks stuffed uh, in your mouth the good old days but um there was a woman that was like working at a comedy club uh, like a manager of a comedy club, my friend went down there to perform and fell in love, you know, and then started living down there in Florida. But then it turns out as, you know, he was there for a little while, he started, uh, people were like, hey, uh, can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> Pulled him aside and they're like, just, you know, I would want to know 
this, what I'm going to tell you. So I'm going to tell you. And just dudes would come into town and just run trains on her. Oh, and she no. was she was famous for like guys tying her up and like all their friends just just fucking her face and <laughs> taking pictures of it. Oh, and, like, there it is. It was just complete total chaos. Like no, I mean she was a, a com- total wild woman. Wow. And then this poor fuck came into town. And uh, she winked at him and gave him a hug, and he was in love. And so he moved there, you know, and uh, c- crushed him. Crushed Dev- him. Devastated his life because he married this woman. No. Yes, he did. Yes. And then he, he re- along the way, it sort of like unfalling. Like guys would come into town, and, you know, they had, they had been running trains on her for the last 10 years, you know, when she was managing this club. I'm so it turned like, out right hey, now, are, we, uh, are we partying? She's like, oh, I'm married now. And they're like, what the fuck? You're married. Like, everybody was like, this no way that's not possible like how's that possible and so eventually she went back to her wild ways and uh because he divorced her no well no in the mid yeah like almost right away she went right back to it i mean she, while she was yes married. and so it that's didn't good. so this poor guy <clears throat> i can't say any names this poor guy who was a friend i really liked the guy and we came up together we were in boston we were uh, open micers together and he had some real potential but it's amazing how a devastating breakup can affect people in such an incredible way that they emotionally never recover from it. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons why, in my opinion, it's so important to get children involved in competitive athletics and competitive things so they learn how to lose things. They learn how to lose games. You learn how to lose relationships. You learn how to lose things. Losing things is important. Expectations that don't come true. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Well, it's also important to know that you can bounce back. Mm-hmm. When you've bounced back before, you understand about bouncing back. Mm-hmm. But when you've only experienced fear and then insecurity and then the devastating feeling of loss compounds You never that. want that again. No, you'll, 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 you'll yes. orchestrate your life so you never fail again. And, and you'll never take a, a chance you'll again. You'll never take a chance again. Yeah, you and you also have to have friends. Those those are those are important aspects. Like a loner who gets dumped, those are the guys that put guns in their mouths. But you also need a mentor. You need somebody who's been through it before. That's where a coach comes in. Yeah. So to help you navigate. Not those, a coach, a buddy of a group of friends, but, a whole bunch of friends. Sure, but there's also when you when you are trying to get really good at something, a lot of times you have somebody who's older who can help you navigate through the plateaus through Oh the, yeah, for sure you that. Get familiar yeah. with it. That that's why just put your attention on something. I don't give a shit what it mm-hmm. is. Take an action because there's always a lesson there. It's almost like the thing in, in and of itself is is less important than what you learn by trying to get good at it. In a way, you well, know? it's it's also because these things like breakups and these these devastating events that can happen to a person, mm. they don't get treated with the proper respect by the people that are raising you. They get treated like, oh, you someone broke your heart. You're mm. going to be fine. Like. It's not that simple, okay? You're, you, what you're dealing with is an incredible shift in the emotional state. And if this person does not know how to navigate that shift, they, they don't know how to get out of that situation, it can be a motherfucker. Getting your ass kicked can do that to you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, have, being humiliated can do that to you. You remember Carrie at the at yeah. the pr- at the prom? When they pour the blood, blood on her yeah. head, and she just fucking goes crazy, and people start flying through the walls and shit. Yeah. And yeah. But that's real. That feeling that you can get when people are 
angry at you or hate you that that feeling that horrific feeling when you bomb mm-hmm. how about that some guys bomb and they r- literally want to go to the hotel room and slice their wrists i've seen i've seen three comics with great potential do really well their first time do really well the second time and obviously like stand up they get up and try to do the same thing with another crowd and they die because it wasn't their friends they never do stand up again mm-hmm. it's like and they, they, they have potential and they have great potential but they never do it again you know this it's, friend of mine it was a, an early lesson about what can happen I had some good early lessons I had a real nice girlfriend in high school she was a, a very very nice person like she was she was not mean uh, at all but you know, when you're 14 years old, relationships don't really last. And, you know, from her, I went on to other ones. And uh, one of the other ones, um, I dated this girl that was just, you could you could roll a dick by her like a kitten. Like you could roll a ball of yarn by a kitten. They just jump on it. That's what this girl was like. Hold on. This is the girlfriend, your girlfriend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's pretty, too. <laughs> That's she a really, really funny pretty. metaphor. And <laughs> She couldn't help herself. I mean, I, I just, I've seen people that can help themselves and I've seen people that can't. This girl could not help herself. She was, first of all, it was Catholic. She was raised in Catholic school and they, you know, they suppress the shit out of her. Right. They, they make you wear this one fucking outfit and they suppress the shit out of you. And psychologically, like all you had to do was get this girl alone. Like any guy could get this girl alone. And that was a wrap. It was wow. over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was crazy. Wow. And I didn't really even find out how crazy she was until after we stopped dating. And then she would tell me stories. Like we worked together and she'd tell me stories about this new guy she was dating and how she liked him to smack her and he would beat her up and she liked it she's like i don't know what to do because i like it it was like it was the cra- it was she was so crazy right, right. i mean so it completely lowered my expectations of loss huh. like i came home one day and uh, i didn't actually come home i was getting up in the morning because i had a paper route because um I delivered newspapers for a job for a long time, many, 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 many years, mm. all throughout high school. Like as soon as I could drive, that was like one of my first jobs. And while I was fighting, it was one of my jobs because I could make a couple hundred bucks a week. All I had to do was get up in the morning by like 5 a.m., deliver my newspaper route, and then I'd come back home and go right back to sleep again. So I did that for a long-ass time. And I would have to get up really early on Sunday morning. Essentially, it would be Saturday night. So Saturday night at 4 o'clock in the morning, that's when I would be up. And um, outside my house is my friend and this girl, and he's fingering her in the front seat. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> she, was, she, she was crazy. God. The girl was crazy. Oh, that's so So I, I slam my hand on the hood and I go, ah! And they're like, Ugh. you know, like, I was laughing at them. And then I got in my car and drove away. I didn't say a word. And I didn't talk to her for like a week. Wow. You know, but I mean, you know, we were already, you know it, was, it was, it was, she was not my girlfriend right. at the time. It was a girl. She, at that time, she was a girl I was dating. I should be really clear. Like, I don't think there was ever a time where we were like officially boyfriend and girlfriend. We were just dating the whole time because she was crazy. You know what helped me a lot? And I was crazy too. What helped me a lot navigate loss and things was actually movies. Uh, good, good movies. What? Yeah. Like, uh, like, like say again, like, no, like John Rocky, Cusack. like Rocky and stuff. When yeah. I was wrestling, I remember, I remember like, you think about these say anything. Moments. Was it saying you think of these, that's a great movie, by the way. No, it's not. You think of these seminal. How dare you? I loved it. But you think of these seminal mo- moments in your life, and I remember I was signed up for. I was a. 
I went to boarding school because my family was still in Saudi Arabia, and I'm like alone there. And, and I signed up for jogging because I was too afraid to sign up for wrestling because I had done judo before that. And I was like, oh, these guys are too tough. So I'm signed up for jogging. This kid, Gary Lane, had seen me put some kid in a headlock, and he goes, hey. And he drags me over to the wrestling mat, and I, I just signed up. And next thing I know, I was wrestling, and I, I wonder what I'd be if I hadn't you know, been a wrestler. It changed my whole life. But the idea of like when I would when I would lose at something, I remember like I would think back to my heroes in movies like Rocky or whatever, and just and it, just the example of you, if you lose, keep trying and you'll win in the end. It was always that feeling. I think that in that sense, that's where art or or movies can play a big role in, in your life. Man. Yeah, but it could also give you some bullshit idea that that white guy could really beat up that black guy. <laughs> Come on. Don't ruin Rocky for me, bro. Hey, Rocky was real. Five foot eight, 160 pound man is really the heavyweight champion of the world. By the way, that's exactly right. He was 155 pounds when he, when he did Rocky. Uh, was he really that light? Yeah. How do you know that? That's what I read a long time yeah. ago. From who, though? People lie about shit. No, he's not a big frame guy, right? Now he is. He looks big now. Yeah. But his body was, if you look at it. If you watch, do 10 IUs of growth. Bring, bring up uh, Rocky uh, four when he fought Drago. Take a look at his frame. You can see his legs are thin. Well, what you really should put up is him at 66 years old. There's a picture I put on my Twitter the other day. Did you see what Geraldo did? No. <laughs> Geraldo Rivera put a, a, a picture of himself uh, naked, essentially, no. with his, uh, his, his towel, like, barely over his cock. And it said, like, 70 is the new 50. Is Geraldo 70 years old? Yes, he's 70 years old. And he looks really good. Let like, me see he's a picture, a, please. Can you yeah, that it's up? all over the internet. And he pull, what's really funny is he took it down. He put the picture up, and then he decided it was like, you know, I don't know, too, too, too embarrassing. He yeah. fucked up. You know, look at that. Look at that picture. <laughs> he's awesome. He looks great. Look at that picture, man. He's still got that awesome mustache. Oh, the mustache is a motherfucker. Look at that. Dude, and he boxed. He was I think he was kind of a good if, boxer. If that guy pulled his cock out and it was holding his knuckles up and going outside like karate chop hand uh -huh. forward towards you with his fat cock, he would be nervous. If you if you broke into that guy's house and his cock was oiled up yeah. and he was knuckles up just yeah. just pulling it in your direction, you would drop drop your gum and jump out of a fucking well, window. Well, thanks for an image I've never had in my head. You got that image. Yeah. Look at look at how low he keeps the towel like you insane bastard he's great he looks great though Damn 70 right. years old tight skin first of all he looks like he's about eight percent body fat i mean yeah. seriously look at all the striations in his chest yeah the guy obviously works hard he's in incredible shape no doubt so, but i don't know why he didn't keep it up there Fuck all those people, man. Yeah. Let let them get crazy. And you're at seventy, you're allowed to do yeah. that. At seventy, you're not, that's fantastic. You're not. You're not if you're a man. If you're yeah. a woman, you're allowed to do that yeah. at any age. A woman can do that at any age. You know why? Because well, we want to see it. Right. <laughs> but a man, no woman wants to see that, and no man wants to see yeah, that. It's so funny. it's a it's a dark corner. Yeah. It's like women are not. I guess there's probably like a few sixty year olds that are like, ah, I still can get wet. No, I heard somebody say one time the difference between men and women is that somebody was describing and said women look really good static, and men look really good when they're doing what they're good at. Like so when they're move when there's movement, playing a guitar, or kicking yeah. a soccer ball, or whatever. Maybe it's, maybe it's not. 
I don't think it's really a visual thing as much with women. It's certainly an aspect of it, which right. is why, you know, really handsome men do well. I mean, there's the, the facial features and everything, the, the, the Fibonacci sequence. Yeah. yeah, the symmetry of the face. And that's that's super important to people. But for women, there's all these other variables, too, Absolutely. like personality, sense of humor, yeah. the ability to take care of yourself. Look at Stallone at 66. Stop it. Shut, just shut the fuck up, man. Are you kidding me? That's insane. The inside is black and sponge-like. <laughs> his entire inside of his body is like it's waiting to make its way to the surface of his skin. Uh, you know what? I, I want what he's on, and I don't care what anybody says. And when you look that good at 66, he, uh, I'm very impressed. That's my canary in the coal mine. Yeah, no and, kidding. And here's, here's the other thought about that. Like, um, people are like, yeah, well, what are, what are the negative side effects? Um, you're 66, okay? That's the negative side effect. The negative side effect is being 66. No matter what <laughs> negative side effects the drugs have, they ain't shit on death, okay? Because <laughs> death is the ultimate negative side effect of life itself. And it comes a certain point in time where death becomes inevitable. Whether it's at 66 or whether it's at 86, you cannot have a physique like that unless you incorporate science into your diet. Oh, yeah. Okay? You're not getting that from just it doesn't exist. lifting weights and eating doesn't meat. exist at 66. It exists at 30. Yeah. There's 30-year-old guys that are built like that that have never touched hormones, never done anything. Right. There's guys that are in their 40s that look fantastic, that have never fucked with anything unhealthy in their life, never done a steroid, never supplemented their testosterone, never done anything but eat good and work hard. But at 50 and then 66, yeah. no, they don't exist. Right. They don't exist. You, you can't look like that. You know? Do you know what's on the horizon for hormones? Oh, stuff? fuck yes, I do. What, tell Not me only that. do I know what's on the horizon for hormones, hormones are this, just uh, one aspect of the human body. The most fascinating conversation that I had recently for the show um, was uh, I got a chance to talk to Ray Kurzweil. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I interviewed him for over an hour. He's great. He's a, First of all, he's a sweetie. He's yeah. a really nice guy, like a, a kind, easy to communicate with. Sure. Uh, intelligent. There he is. There's us together. Oh, my God. Great guy. Um, but what he was talking about was these new innovations in modern science and, and medical science that are going to allow people to literally have superhuman abilities yeah. out of the game. Nanobots so, and stuff. Yeah, you're going to yeah. have a real problem with like shit like the Olympics yeah. when a person like you can take a shot and then all of a sudden you have these like artificial blood cells yeah. that are a million times more effective. Mm -hmm. He said you're literally going to be able to hold your breath For and now. jump in. No, no, no. Four hours. <laughs> Jump in the bottom of the pool and hold your breath for four hours on a single breath. Yeah, four fucking hours, yeah. man. That's in that's in the the singularity is near. Yeah. yeah, that's. But when the guy says it to you to your face, yeah. and you know he's a lot fucking smarter than you, it's like one of those like, what are we up for? Well, what's he, what's he coming? He talks about how they they reverse engineered the red blood cell of a dog, and they're doing that with a human red blood cell, and now they're going to take a nanobot and do they're going to copy it but make it more efficient at what what that red blood blood cell does and then they'll shoot it into you it'll be a red blood cell nanobot and that'll that'll oxygenate your blood and it's going to literally move on from there until we're like wolverine until we have adamantium skeletons mm. like that's not that's, that's not so outside crazy. the realm of possibility so crazy we're I mean, meshing with machines they're not they're probably not going to do it the way it's in that movie but if you think about wolverine the comic book the whole idea was that he had these metal bones this incredible metal structure and then on top of that, he had skin and a, 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 a body that would heal itself like instantly. If you cut him, it would just seal up. 
And you look at it like, oh, that'd be cool. That's coming. That's 100%. It's on the horizon. If we keep innovating, that is going to happen. Yeah. If you can hold your breath at the bottom of the ocean yeah. for four fucking hours yeah. on a single breath, you're gonna be able, they're going to be able to figure out a way to make your skin heal, not in a week, not in a year, not in six months, but in six seconds, you'll grow skin. They're gonna they're gonna be able to do it. When, are we, when are we gonna be able to gene dope? Like, what is this? Like the that's coming too. It's coming. It's coming. Myostatin inhibitors. That's what they accidentally have when they inbreed those dogs, those whippets, and those cows, and those right? cows. Yeah. But they've also started doing it intentionally to mice. They've created the mice yeah. live longer. They live and longer. They don't lose muscle. They tone. have giant mm-hmm. muscles. Yeah. They look like Hulk mice. See if you can pull up a picture of the Hulk mice. Hulk mice uh, myostatin inhibitors. Or, so, so when do I get that? Because I want to be built. I want to get into the UFC. You won't. No, you, if you, 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 your comedy would be fucking horrible. It would be. You, you always want to be vulnerable <laughs> up there. It's your so style. True. It's your so whole, true. You, you would have, have to, to rewrite your whole act. I know. I talk about how I'm built for how I'm built for like dance, dance and not not that for war. Fucking bit that you did. I really enjoyed seeing you uh, when I, Brian and I um, we work together. Sometimes we're going to be working together in Toronto, Can't September nineteenth. Um, but we, we worked together recently just, just by freak accident. I was in town filming my TV show while he was working at the improv in DC. So I came by and got a chance to watch your set. And oh my God, it was so fun. The well, fucking, the, the shit about running through wheat and uh, we were, me and Todd were, we were crying laughing. It was dude, really nothing, funny stuff. One of my most satisfying experiences as far back as I can remember is listening to you cackle. <laughs> At my jokes when I was doing stand-up, watching one of my best friends in the world. There's nothing more satisfying. I swear to God, I'm not just saying this. Like, I was thinking about that. To be able to make somebody like you, not only a great comic, but such a close friend, I was killing you, and I could see you cackling and just loving the stuff that I wrote. You know, it's like I yeah. did this and my one of my best, like my brother's out there laughing his ass off. That's a beautiful feeling, man. I've never, I haven't had a feeling like that in a long time. That I, was, was incredible. I love that as well. That's one of the things I love most about working with guys like Joey Diaz and Ari and oh, Red Band and, yeah. you know, Duncan is that we love each other. Yeah. So like if I see... Well, you have the greatest if, laugh too. You're just, <laughs> you're just fucking howling back there. Ah! Diaz is even better. When Diaz is laughing, when I'm, I hear him, I hear him. <laughs> I had a new bit last week in Vegas. We were working together. We did the joint in Vegas, and I heard I could hear Joey out of two thousand oh, people. There's so two thousand people, so and I could I could hear Diaz when I was doing this new yeah. bit. He was. Yeah, man. It's it's what we it's what we were talking about before about needing support. You know. Uh, about like people when they get through things they need support and it's also why you need to learn how to lose things you also need to be around other folks that are that are fun and warm and friendly and that's that's big and people that you you respect and you look at them and they they make you want to like get your shit together they make you want to get things done and if you can if you can accumulate as many of those people as you can in your life, the more you can do that, and the more you can be one of those people, and the more you can accumulate those people, the more happy and the more enjoyable this thing's going to be for you. Yeah, I, you know, um, David Blaine's doing a new special pretty soon. What is he going to do? Stand still for a year? Yeah, no, he's doing stand magic. still dude, for one year. Dude, wait till you see. I helped him edit his this this uh, his his, tri- his his uh, 
He's still standing still. Wait till you see what he's doing now. It's six months in. Can you keep it up, ladies and gentlemen? He's standing still for one year. No, no. He's doing da, magic da, da. for the likes of Bill Gates and Stephen Hawking. Oh, and, and, I, I'll and, tell you what. You could do a card trick in front of Stephen Hawking. It's pretty fucking easy. You, know you can't he, move his yeah, eyes. Yeah, you know what he said, though? <laughs> <laughs> all, I know, all I know is the dude when that Nothing up my sleeve He can't see your fucking sleeves He sees like a, a slit Like a, a gun Like Iron Man's eyeballs That's what dude, he sees forward Wait till you see Wait He came to my house He did my podcast Okay he Stephen Hawking No uh, David Blaine <laughs> And he comes to my house And I have a couple of my friends there Alright uh-huh. Brendan Schaub Dove David A couple of They're like whatever Ah it's David Blaine He starts doing magic for them Okay that's a douche move That's like you coming to someone's house And start doing your act No you climb up on the coffee I, I, no, table, no, no, kick over the him. magazines. No, no, I asked him to. That's even worse. No, no, How no. about someone coming to your house and you ask him to do jokes? That's even worse. <laughs> listen, <laughs> he did. Listen, until you see him do, until you see him, uh, and, I, and hold that thought. Okay. Well, next time he's in LA, we'll hang out. Uh, and I just want you to, just so con- you know, just this conversation your is mind will be blown. Me. You're going to go, he's magic. <laughs> he's really magic. That's what you're going to say. Just you suggesting that that could ever happen is exhausting me. It, and I am, and I'm standing by it. And, and when you're going to do a podcast and go, Brian so was right. Exhausting. Brian is right. So exhausting. He's a freak. He's magic. He does magic. Does he do magic? Brian? Oh, but the point I was making is that he said, he, he, I was just announced lost, but he was saying the most important thing is just surrounding yourself with people that support you. I mean, mm. everybody, everybody I know is successful always says that. So to one extent, you got to have people around you that help you <laughs> go through this shit. Yeah. I don't care how successful you are. You always go to periods where you're lonely, where it sucks, where you don't think you have self-doubt. You got to have your fucking friends. How many times have I called you? Well, when you and I have real talks, where where you know you you got the NSA have... has all those on file now. I know. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Hey Snowden, stay where you are. <laughs> Did you see that crazy video? That MSNBC video where this woman who is an anchor, she's an anchor person, starts like mocking Snowden and telling him to turn himself in. No. It's this. It's psychologically it's one of the weirdest things you could ever watch it's like you try to look at it and go i am not sure what the motivation is i've never met a single person that doesn't think that what he exposed is important for people to know not one person people have disagreed with why he did it or how he did it it, or or what was done like to compromise american security if anything but no one, no one thinks that that wasn't important for people to find out about. Right. It. So it's a very subtle and nuanced case, and it's very complicated, mm-hmm. and it's also very significant historically mm-hmm. because we know that things are out of control now. This is not a doubt in the world. When they're looking at every goddamn thing that you're doing, everything that everybody's Everywhere doing. Everywhere you walk, you're photographed. I was in London recently. But not you're just photographed that. 255 times. The, the fact that everyone's emails are being looked at, everyone, and that this Snowden guy who was just working there <clears throat> could intercept anyone's email. That means other people that are working for the CIA or the NSA rather could just intercept your emails so you could you know tell people that you're going to go eat some shit and you know they go oh Brian Cowan's eating shit they they know what you're doing a regular person not a cyborg not a monk not a person without emotion not a person without weirdness or jealousy or or uh, hatred or someone any one person can just decide to look at your shit that works yeah, it's there. That's tyranny. insanity. It's called tyranny. It isn't. It's and, insane. And, and nobody's making enough of a fuss about it, in my opinion. That's not You're the right. American way. So look at this woman's reaction. We're gonna. I'm going to play this shit, because this is going to freak you out. This is China, really important relationships. And we're talking about how you praise countries like Russia and Venezuela for standing against human rights violations and refusing to compromise their principles. Seriously, Ed, where do you even come up with that? What are you thinking? 
I understand you don't want to come back. I mean, to do so would mean giving up your freedom. Definitely before trial and likely for several months or years thereafter. I get it. It's, it's in prisons in the U.S. that commit actual human rights violations. We just talked about it. More than, more than 80,000 prisoners are held in solitary confinement, some for years, some indefinitely, despite the fact that solitary is cruel and psychological da damaging. I know those aren't the human rights violations, though, Ed, that you were complaining about. But, but you might have nothing to worry about anyway. Because unlike most of the people in solitary confinement, including, including Private Bradley Manning on trial for giving data to WikiLeaks, you've cultivated for yourself a, a level of celebrity. And that celebrity itself may just act as the protection, a kind of, another kind of cloak. If you ever find yourself in a U.S. prison, you have made quite a spectacle of yourself. And the Obama administration will be very careful about how it treats you unlike how states treat all those other prisoners. So come on home, Ed. Then, you know, we could talk about something else. Sincerely, Melissa. Mm, that's a strange video. First of all, it's strange that it got greenlit. Yeah. That some producer said, I like it. Let's do it. Let right. it let it rip. We love your copy. Um, you're really good at reading. That's like one she's one of the worst persons yeah. at reading something yeah. on television that I've ever seen. Right. So for, first of all, you can see that she's got some sort of a speech impediment yeah. that she's struggled with since she was young, which probably led her to have this like very strong desire for acceptance, which probably led her to think that it would be a, a good thing to like support the government against mm -hmm. Snowden in that video. I mean, I guess that's what she was saying. I mean, it was it was really hard to figure out what she was saying because all she was admitting that the government puts people in solitary confinement she was also you know like saying like where do you get this stuff like them talking about that venezuela and russia stands well, up for one, human one rights the, violations one of the good things about podcasting from my learning lesson has been like is how careful you have to be about saying things you think you know the answer to isn't that amazing that you yeah. do that much and you still are careful <laughs> <laughs> But it's part of talking shit. It part is. of the it fun, is. entertaining shit talking is occasionally you get your facts a little bit fucked up. All right, we're not scientists here, folks. Hey, I'm trying my best over here. But what that woman was doing was like was really like ill advised. It, it was, was ill advised, it's arrogant. arrogant. It's it's a very complicated issue, and the the way she's approaching it. Since so we can talk about other things. Sincerely, Melissa. Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, Melissa. This thing that you don't want to talk about might be one of the most significant events in human history. You know why? Because we realize that there's no such thing as privacy. I don't know if that's sunk in with everybody yet, but it really is very close. I mean, right now it's in the government's hands, and that will eventually trick down to the people's hands. I think it's a huge problem. I think, I think the fact that I never – that I'm always being watched by a video camera somewhere is Video a huge cameras problem. are one thing, but, but – monitoring, monitoring my emails, you guys don't tell me that you're doing that. You don't need a – you don't need a uh, – um, a warrant for don't that need kind anything of stuff? Nah. it's insane that's not that's not right that it doesn't it doesn't make any sense and, and by the way everybody sorry to say by the way again but remember that every <laughs> every dictatorship every single oppressive government in history has always used national security uh, as an excuse to take your freedoms away. That's always the excuse, isn't it? Look yeah. at history. No, it's it is. It's always the excuse. Well, it's a dangerous world, and we're here to protect you. Nah, no thanks. Don't trust you. What's a classic thing to do to, to actually pump up an enemy to get them to become a threat so that you can go and attack them? That's so right. you have reason to keep the war machine going. That's right. 
Yeah, it's and you know what, man? That's what happens when you get people that make money off a war. And that's why there's supposed to be a bunch of laws in place to keep that from happening. You know, that's why Eisenhower got on television and warned about the dangers of the military-industrial complex when he was leaving office. All of that exists because it's it's just like what corporations do to other countries – you know, if you're a good person, you wouldn't go to Venezuela and steal their oil and pollute their rivers. You wouldn't do it, okay? You wouldn't do it because you would see the people cry and see people starve to death and see the fish die, and you would go, wow, what I'm doing is fucked up. But if you're some evil chemical company, and the way to make money is to do that, and you have stockholders, and you have all these people that are putting pressure on you. Yeah, that, that doesn't answer the equation In as, some, as much. Mm-hmm. one of those leather chairs that has those, those rivets, those brass rivets. So like dug deep into it, like in a million different places, those puffy leather chairs yeah, yeah, yeah. where they always have like a, some brandy on a, a shelf, you know, with some glasses and a tub of ice that they clink, clink as they're pouring a drink. Talk, listen, we have a bottom line and I'm not going to Ecuador. Are you going to Ecuador? So fuck the river. Fuck that river. Let's get that money. And they just somehow or another, even if it's not the decision that in, made in that sort of a fashion, a, an X amount of people, whether it's 4,000 or four. How, how many people are in that corporation decide to act as an evil unit and decide to do some fucked ignore, up shit to ignore, make that money? Or ignore uh, an inconvenient truth. Sure. And then uh, they, if yeah. they can do that, they can also – those same sort of – those same principles of action apply. That's how war happens in the first place. You can get a giant army of people to behave like psychos as long as the people around them are also behaving like psychos. That's right. It just becomes your new reality. People go to war. That, that's If you look at how people are motivated uh, to go to war, a lot of times they are motivated around symbols, around slogans, around different kinds of propaganda. That's always been the case. That's been the case since the you know, the Trojan War. Yeah. Uh, and that that's a it's it's a characteristic of human beings that you have to if you're looking at human beings as a set of ingredients, what is this thing like okay, say if you have a car, you have a you know, you have a Mercedes Benz, it's a nineteen ninety six. How many horsepower does it have? What's it capable of doing? You know, how how quickly can it stop from zero to sixty? What are what are the possibilities of this this unit? Well, human beings are just like a car in that sense. Like we have a lot of possibilities possibilities as far as documented behavior that's completely outside the norm. It's a giant spectrum from killing babies to helping old people across the street and planting flowers we're, we're everywhere. A bipolar ape. We, 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 there's just so much going on inside the, the possibility drawer. If you open up the possibility drawer of human beings, like, whoo, you better sit down because mm-hmm. this motherfucker is capable of a, a lot, lot of, different stuff. of shit. Incredible cruelty, incredible kindness, you know, so, everything in between. Yeah, so when you lump them all together without personal accountability, you're going to open up the potential for all this craziness, all the worst aspects of human beings when they don't have a direct action reaction input That's from exactly the people that they're right. affecting. When there's no accountability, it's when you can hide behind a huge institution. It is, and it's almost not even about hiding behind it. It's almost not even about not having any accountability. It's a matter of not feeling it. 
whatever you're doing, you're not feeling. It's one of the reasons why people can go fuck you to someone in their car. Mm-hmm. You can drive mm-hmm. and go fuck you. But if it was on the street and that guy was that close to you, mm-hmm. you wouldn't say fuck you to him. No. You wouldn't stick your finger at him. You would have to be crazy. Yeah, because to, you've got to re, you've got to respond to that person in front of you're, you. You're interacting There's with it, them. Malcolm Gladwell did that amazing study about um, how murder rate the murder rate went up when they built – they had the ghettos uh, and, and after they built those huge, huge projects, all of a sudden you didn't live, live next to the guy. You lived in – the guy lived in a unit above you and there was anonymity created. So you could steal – shoot somebody for their shoes because you didn't know them. You didn't know somebody who was connected to them. You didn't know the, 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 the fabric that they came from. It used to be when those – like in the, in the Bronx, when, when all those communities came up, they came up around – a barter system around an economic system that kind of happened organically. When they put the Cross Bronx Expressway in there and they tore everything down and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to plan the Bronx on a board. And they planned it on a board and they had these big they, – they created these big projects. Let's just put them all in these big buildings. All of a sudden, the murder rate went up. And one of the, one of the theories is the fact that you suddenly now – because even if you were in a ghetto, you knew that kid's grandmother. You knew that kid's brother. You, mm-hmm. There was always – everybody was connected. Right. You all knew each other. The minute you put people in those buildings – now they're living in boxes and he's living on the fifth floor. You're living on the first floor or whatever and you don't have an interaction. There was no the, – the economic fabric of that community was destroyed. Mm. So, so it became much easier to shoot somebody you didn't know. And they're in your close proximity. You don't have a relationship with them and they're right on top exactly. of you. Which is very unnatural exactly. for humans. And, and this is where I always say that you know, if you think you can walk around and be, be, being ignorant in today's world, you're wrong about that. Political commitment is important and knowing why you believe something. And this is a classic example in my opinion of, of a, a threat that is very insidious. It's not obvious right now. It may not be obvious but that, that's why the Snowden case is very important. It's important to, to at least you don't have to have an opinion just familiarize yourself familiarize yourself with how these things happen history repeats itself know that your freedom can be taken away from you in 2013 it well, can it and also, is being taken away in this country and it, well you know and everybody's like hey listen no one's doing anything to my freedom just relax right. stop getting crazy right. um, uh, instead of looking at it in any way that connects you uh, to it personally whether you're defending it or whether you're you know you're 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 violently opposed to it look at it as a trend as a human trend Mm. and then it becomes fascinating because if you take yourself outside of it and you you go instead of going we have to stop this corrupt government just look at like step back and look 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 at what's happening like what is this Ooh, what is this what is this? This is a strange little thing happening here. This is a convergence. Well, why are this there is cameras a human convergence. Why am, I, I know cameras solve crimes. I know cameras do a lot of good. Mm-hmm. Good, but but you, we have to are ask you ourselves the, the question. Camera? You keep bringing up the cameras. Uh, well, but they're they're everywhere. I'm not. Yeah. I, and by the way, I feel safer sometimes because mm-hmm. they're there. The, yeah, and, and I'm that's sure it has trade-off. it has a positive effect. But to what degree are we talking about? What 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 is the trade off? And and who is who is saying enough is enough? Where is the check and balance? That's what I There's, want to it know. It doesn't exist. Okay, well, that's, that's a, a problem. Not only does it not exist, it can exist if you follow the, the pattern of human behavior. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's like when rich people got cell phones. Do you remember that? It was a long-ass time yep. ago, 1980s and 90s. Yep. The, like Only rich people had phones, and you would occasionally see a phone, and it was like a cool thing. I remember uh, this comic looked into uh, – you know Jackie Flynn? Yeah. 
funny guy. I love Jackie. Jackie uh, is he's always had like a couple bucks. His family's successful business, and he was always a part of that. Mm. And he had a real nice car. He had a Toyota Supra. And another comic looked in the window and he said, "Oh, I love the way that phone looks because he had a phone in his car. Mm. It was like 1989 or something like that. Nobody had a phone go, in their Jackie. car. Let's play the mean game of golf to her. Yeah, yeah. Right he's got this phone in his car, and it was like, whoa, only rich people can have phones in their cars. Mm-hmm. Now everybody has a fucking phone in their pocket mm-hmm. that they carry around with them everywhere. Eventually, it got so far. I was in Brazil, and I saw these people in this very poor neighborhood, and they all had phones. They were on their phones. They were talking on phones. It's like it's become so worldwide and, and world spread. And right now, information is freely accessible only to the people in the highest points of government. Right now, it's only the people in the NSA, the people that have made these shady inside deals with internet providers and have gotten access to phone calls and records and text messages and shit. It's only them. But that's just a trend. It's going to start with them, and then the technology is slowly but surely going to be available to everybody. That might be a good thing, right? It might be a good thing, but it's going to be a different thing. Hmm. And here's the problem. Money. Because money right now is just ones and zeros. Money right now is just confidence. It's just information. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm. There's no like, I mean, you can have a million dollars. Exactly. It's not like gold. It's not like you have a stack of gold. Like you have a million dollars. So if you go to that bank, those million notes, you can turn them in. They'll give you a million, you know, X amount of pounds of gold that equals a million dollars. It doesn't exist anymore. So if it doesn't exist, what is it made out of? Well, it's made out of ones and zeros. It's Mm. all it is. It's made out of confidence and ones and zeros. And the rest of it is just woven into this complex complicated system that's called our financial structure. Mm-hmm. But if you looked at that objectively, you go, well, you have, we have a very complicated system. There's no need to worry. You stop and you go, what are you talking about? You have a bunch of computers and ones and zeros. You don't have a real money. You don't have a real substance. So my point is that I have a theory that as information becomes more and more freely distributed, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to get to a point where there's no boundaries. There's no boundaries between thoughts Everyone's going to be able to read each other's minds. You're all going to be able to communicate through Wi-Fi. And you're all going to know everything that everybody else knows. You're not just going to know what you tell me. I'm going to know what's going on in your mind. I'm going to know what you can remember. Like a central neural net. Yeah. And we're going to be able to create artificial recording of memories that's far more accurate than the shitty memories we carry around in our brain Mm. and when that happens you're going to have access to mine and i'm going to have access to yours and it's going to be a requirement eventually that everybody has some sort of a neural recorder because people are going to want to know what you're doing they're going to want to have full access to your thoughts and ideas we're going to be able to solve all the crimes instantly that's going to be the answer to it they're going to say there's going to be 100 percent accountability no one will ever get away with a crime again because we're all going to know exactly what everybody does when they do it so we're all going to sign up for it say about privacy there's going to be none but the my point is money's going to go that way too there's mm. going to be no money anymore it's going to it's going to reach a point where it's just resources and it's just there has to be some sort of a fair system as far as the distribution of resources mm. but the idea that you're going to keep them in a bank and get them out with a card <laughs> good fucking luck right. there's ones and zeros well, man it doesn't mean any, it's not going to mean anything when everyone can get access to it they have a uh, they've already figured out a way um they're on the preliminary stages where they can they can map they can I guess you, you, they show you an image and then they look at your brain activity when you see that image. And then when you, they show you the image again, they, the, the, the brain activity in the, the, it shows up on the same kind of pattern. So you recognize something and they can tell. So what the idea is, is that if you robbed a bank or you were in, you were a criminal and you were in a certain place and they give you a, and, and they, they show you that place and they scan your brain 
when they tell when they tell you about the place and your brain registers a certain thing they can show you a picture of it if your brain registers that image again like this, the same kind of brain activity they can tell whether you've actually seen it before it was this weird kind of yeah. idea you know so we're getting closer and closer but when you say uh, zeros and ones you're talking about a uh, money no longer being real uh, this guy named James Rickards who wrote a book called currency wars did my podcast the pentagon hired him to cr- stage a currency uh War, uh, so so simulate what something someone like China could do to our currency system, and because it's all computerized and it's all sort of ones and zeros, he he basically was hired by the Pentagon to come up with a scenario whereby the Chinese could set up say ten fake hedge fund companies that end up, you know doing something to buying all this stock or buying just up a bunch of stuff and getting the market to crash. It'd be a very difficult thing to do, but that was his job. It was pretty fascinating with the, with the idea where, where there is no real money. You can really manipulate through computers sort of an entire segment of the economy and wreak havoc theoretically. You know, and that's something the Pentagon hires people to try to do and simulate. But it was really, really an interesting kind of concept. Well, if, you, if your money is based on a computer – I mean, yeah. it's based on calculations. You can protect it. You, you can put up firewalls and you can do – but essentially, <laughs> it's just as vulnerable as a computer is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what – you know, one of the things about the financial system that I found to be terrifying when I found out that stocks can be traded by bots and that they could recognize trends and trade like second to second, like do these split-second analysis of trends and constantly keep earning money that way by exploiting the system and understanding which way things are moving and buying and selling. So you just chipping away at the block every couple seconds, making a little bit here and a little bit there, but taking essentially very little risks. And by doing that, they can figure out a way to just extract money through a bot and that this is legal and that this is this is how people use the stock you market. You take the spread, you mean? Or, or? They figure out which way things are going. Right. And the, by the way, the bots, by the way, by the way, the bots can do calculations and, and input trades faster than a person can. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're connected to whatever the fuck our financial system is. I mean, I when I see the Dow and I see those fucking numbers scrolling through the bottom, it, to me, that looks like a close encounters of the third kind. Me too, bro. The inside of the spaceship. Like, if they had the inside of the spaceship and they showed the alien it's language. It's Greek to me, bro. It's Greek to me. It's, but it's Greek to everyone. Even yeah. if they understand it, it's still insanity. It's, yeah. it's, and I shouldn't say Greek. But yeah, in a way, look, Greece is fucking bankrupt right now. You know what? Yeah. How crazy is it that at one point in time, the greatest culture on the planet yeah. Earth, the most knowledgeable and the full, filled with scholars, creating beautiful works of architecture and stuff that people still read today, mm-hmm. still inspired by today. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the great Greek masters, mm-hmm. and then today. What is what's going on over there now? Nothing. The fucking whole thing's falling apart. It's, it's Detroit. Yeah. It's Detroit, the country. Yeah. There's no money there. Yeah. It's a fucking wreck. The whole thing's going bankrupt. There's eighty percent unemployment rate or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. It's just bananas. The whole thing's a fucking disaster. Yeah, that's right. Like these civilizations can hit these insane heights and but then you, come you know, trum- crumbling down. But that- Greece is a good example of what we're talking about. Uh, you know, you, you talk about trends. There's also something called a tipping point. Shit happens. Stop, things start happening. If you don't pay attention, things will cascade in a moment. So nobody in Greece thought that their 
their system was going to collapse until mm-hmm. it was too late. Right. And I, I say that's the same thing that can happen with your freedoms. I, I think that's the same thing if you're not careful, if you don't know, if, you don't, if you're not paying attention to who the, the real enemy is or at least you don't make enough noise or you're not paying attention to what's going on, that's, that's the kind of stuff that can happen. Well, it's also individuals, again, looking out for themselves, trying to, trying to extract money. It's individuals exploiting a system, a shitty system, sure. individuals exploiting it. I mean, the whole the housing market in this country, for the people that don't understand it, which is, by the way, everybody, by the way, by the way, mm-hmm. nobody understands it. That's how it happened. Yeah. You know, you can sort of be armchair quarterback and, you know, you can sit back uh, Monday morning and sort of second guess the decisions yeah. that were made. But the reality is it's sort of exposed that the whole thing is, is horseshit. And the reason why it was horseshit was because the way it was set up, even though it didn't last, was a bunch of people were able to extract insane amounts of money that made no sense. Even though it didn't make any sense. Fascinating. Book. Well, you should, you, you, uh, uh, did you sell a house? You sold a house, right? Yeah. Did you make a shitload of money on yeah. it that makes no sense? Yeah. I, I sold a house in the um, early 2000s. And I made, I doubled the price of my house in like a couple of years. Yeah. It does, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's there's no way that should have happened. I didn't do anything to that house. I mean, I fixed a few things, but it, I didn't like completely redo it sure. or anything like that. And yet the housing prices went up so high that I could get 100% more than what I paid for. There's a, there's a book called The Big Short by Michael Lewis, and he basically traces how this all happened. And there was really two people. According to him in this book, and if I'm remembering, might have been one of there are really two people. One of whom ha, was has Asperger's syndrome. He was in <laughs> San Jose, California, had a lazy eye, and was a, a true Asperger's syndrome. And and basically, six years before this, was looking at these mortgage-backed securities, these tranches, and and actually breaking them down because he was obsessed with numbers and actually really knew how they worked, how derivatives and everything worked. And he was going, "Oh, wait a minute." These houses and these algorithms aren't reflecting real value. And this isn't making sense, yet they're bundling these mortgage-backed securities and selling them. And I don't think people are going to be able to pay their mortgages because this isn't making sense. And he was saying that six, seven years before that and figured it out. And then there was another guy who was this dude who just – who was a broker who did the – who I, I think hooked up with this guy and started looking at it. And he was like – you, this doesn't make any sense. This whole system is going to collapse. They were literally like trying to build Noah's Ark. And it's a great book called uh, The Big Short, and he, and he really does a great job of actually showing the key players who really saw this thing coming and were jumping up and down. Did you see Inside Job? And they were job? ridiculed for it. Yes, I did. I saw it. If you like Inside Job, read The Big Short because yeah. it's amazing. Or if you don't like to read, watch <laughs> Inside Job because it's amazing. And yeah. the guy confronts people. He confronts all these. Oh, yeah. It turns out – now, not only was – I mean Inside Job is really an apt name for it because not only was it a, a crazy fucked up system that people were exploiting, the people that were passing their judgment and saying what is acceptable, what's not acceptable – would eventually get hired by these big banking companies. Mm-hmm. So what they would do is they would be professors at Harvard and they would be economics professors and they would analyze all these trends and they would like, well, our recommendation is that this is good and this is good as that. And all they were doing was giving people the green light to extract money and then they would go work for those people and get these insane fucking jobs well, the SEC. that paid incredible money, yeah. the SEC. And so they looked at the trend of people like going from, you know, like from Harvard to the SEC 
and the SEC to some insane job where they would get fucking gazillions of dollars a year. And they go, oh, oh, they just, everyone's corrupt. The whole thing's corrupt. It's and when this guy's like confronting these people in that movie, Inside Job, and they're like freaking out and reacting to him, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. It it's a pretty amazing it's a great, movie. Great documentary. And it, it, it will make you want to throw a hammer through your fucking TV. It will get the, you angry. The question it raises, though, is is that is the incentive structure that was set up to blame, and how do you avoid – because smart people are going to take advantage of a system that's broken. Yeah. So how then do you, you – see, we all know that you're never going to control human behavior. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to be impossible. And when people see an opening, they're going to take it, some people. So the idea then is how do you create – a system that doesn't reward that kind of behavior. That seems to be Is that even question. possible? Well, That's... one of the one of the ways that smart people will talk about it is to say you still have this guy James Rickard who's on on my show said the problem with too big to fail, the eight biggest banks are in in the country are are bigger than ever. And what that means is that the US government can't let them fail. They can behave very irresponsibly. I'm not saying they are right now, but they can if they wanted to behave very irresponsibly. And they, and if they if they screw up again, we have to bail them out because they are the central nervous system of our financial structure. Yeah, but the crazy thing is that was all warned about a long ass time sure ago. Was. The idea of a bank being too big to fail is it's a refuted premise. Nothing's like, happened about it. Doesn't work. Nothing's happened about it. No, nothing. Nothing and has it's happened. It's gotten worse in some ways. And what was my favorite part about it was when they were talking. About the bonuses, and that Obama was going to limit them to five hundred thousand dollars because guys were still getting bonuses like yeah. millions and millions of dollars, yeah. and they're like, "Well, they have to pay them because if they don't, these guys are going to go work for someone else." And I remember thinking, like, "Where are they going to work? They're going to work for who? How much money? How could you possibly get a bonus when your bank is folding? Yeah. Like, what is the bonus for?" The answer to that, if you listen to a lot of people, is they go, "Guess what banks do? They don't live in a capitalist society. First of all, they call Obama a socialist. They're the, they're the biggest socialist on the planet. They have socialized their losses and privatized their gains. You <laughs> lose, don't worry. The bank, the government will bail you You're out. You're too big to fail, buddy. All of them went out there with that. You guys talk about being capitalist. You guys went out there with your well, well we failed. Somebody bail us out, but you." You privatize. You make all the money. You live in a private economy. You, you talk about the, the, the market system and, and the free market okay. enterprise. Instead and, of bitching about this, stop for a second. And what would you do? What would I do? What would you do? I'm gonna, I'm, you're going to be the king of the world. I'm going to allow first, you. You okay. have unlimited budget. First thing Figure I would this do, out. First thing I would do is this. Campaign finance reform. What does that mean? Take money out of politics. Why in the world... Why in the world and, – and, and again, I'm sorry to bring up another book, but don't go to a book. Go to the TED lecture and, and listen to um, – uh, it's, it's called uh, 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 Republic Lost by Lawrence Lessig. And, and basically, here's how it goes. If you're a politician in this country, you are beholden to fundraisers. You spend all your time, 40% of your time, calling people you don't know for money because you're not getting elected otherwise. How do you solve that problem? Take money out of politics. There are ways to do it. I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you how there are ways to do it where money doesn't play a big as big enough role because now we are in an economy of influence. You cannot do business as a private corporation without having a pipeline to Washington. You can't. It takes two hours to get into Washington because thirteen thousand lobbyists are descending on that on that capital every fucking day. Okay, so so as long as you create an economy of influence. And you have corporations that are manipulating that massive right, structure. What do you think Let's is the solution? Do you, think, do you think the solution is the internet? Well, that's my second thing. The, the, there is an America that works. 
And that America that works is the kind of commerce that is going on on the Internet, eBay and all this other stuff. And, and the government hasn't yet gotten involved. That's still a wild frontier. And guess what? Guess what? You and I, regular people, know how to do it. We don't need a bunch of licenses and government intervention. People, the Internet works. It's, well, also, it, it works. You, can't, you can't have a bunch of things that are going to influence all of us happening behind closed doors. You just can't. Of course not. You can't. You You're can't talking about do the it. NSA now. Yeah, where people need to know, like if there's environmental issues that are coming up and they're being debated inside some closed door where people are making deals, and those 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 decisions that they're making could fuck us all up. Those they can't. That can't happen. No one should have that ability. No one should have that kind of power. Let me just let me add exist. a caveat though, very quickly to that. There is something called secret deliberation. There's nothing wrong with it. And I'll finish. Let me finish with this sentence. When, when, like, if you look at the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. when they de- when they come to a decision, they have they they retire to a room, and it is a secret sort of deliberation. The media is not there because mm-hmm. it requires lots of sober thought. It requires changing your mind. You can't have people listening and watching the process. Okay, but however, that, that's however, a very different thing. It is because because the law. decision. Exactly, because the decision finally is a public decision that mm-hmm. still has to be that, – that, that, that we contend with and we know about. Well, not only that, but you, someone is in the Supreme Court, the, uh, theoretically at least, they have the responsibility to adhere to the letter of the law. And anyone influencing that, anyone mm-hmm. outside of the Supreme Court influencing that would be negative. So if it was wide open to the whole world to look at, then you got all these people influencing it and react to it. And their influence may affect the way the decision gets made. But it's been hijacked. Of course. It's been hijacked. So they do get influenced. When you hear the Supreme Court pass shit that says, like, a corporation can act as an individual and they can donate as much money as they want to a campaign, when you have, like, those kind of decisions being made, you go, oh, they got you. They got to you. If there's widespread spying on on its citizen – if a government is spying on its citizenry – Secretly, if they are collecting information from ordinary citizens, I want to know about it. Let's have the debate publicly. Tell me if it's really that important to stop terrorism. Can we have a public debate? I want to know about it. What's going to happen to that Snowden dude? That's going to be. I think uh, he's going to stay in Russia because we don't have an extradition treaty with them. Well, if he's smart, he would stay in Russia. I, I, I don't think the dude should come back. That's for fuck sure. I, I don't think you should come back. I, I, I think never there should be a debate. Go. I think there should be a debate, a real debate about what the hell is going on with the NSA and, and, and how we navigate this problem. But meanwhile, they're trying to not talk about it. Like, you know, everyone wants to talk about the, the new royal baby. Everyone wants to talk about Andrew Weiner whipping his cock out. I know. Geraldo Rivera taking his but shirt none of off. It matters, man. Meanwhile, drones are slamming in the huts. Look, <laughs> you know, look, it's, it's Thoreau. Thoreau said, "I see man everywhere striking at the at the branches of evil, while none are hitting the root." You got to know where the root starts, man. So you know know what the where the real enemy is. That's very important before you strike out. You got to know, and that takes that takes some work. It ta- you got to earn that. And that's why I recommend the book Republic Lost or at least go to TED.com and listen to Lawrence Lessig give – show you why we are losing our republic. He does a very good job about it. People argue with it. Sat next to a guy on a plane who was an editor at Newsweek who said he doesn't know what he's talking about. But 
I was very convinced, and it was very scary. Well, I think that the responsibility for running this entire society cannot rest in secret hands anymore. And I think the only way for society to progress the way the culture of human interaction has progressed since the Internet, the only way for society to catch up is to take away power. They have to relinquish power. That It has to be done. That's the only way you're going to have a, a, a culture that is advancing commensurate with the amount of people that are advancing. Because otherwise you're going to have a bunch of people that are trying to control and, and steal resources and hold on to influence and hold on to power. And they're going to realize that the, there's fucking pounding at the gates everywhere. And they're not going to open up the gates. They're going to try to bolt them down more. And they're trying to scare people away from the gates. And that's what we're seeing now. What we're seeing now with things like going after these whistleblowers as if they were the most evil people in the world. Meanwhile, the government itself is responsible for thousands of people dying in drone attacks that were innocent. That's thousands of murders, and no one is getting in trouble for these accidental murders. Accidental, of course, but murders still. But yet, this Snowden guy is public enemy number one, and they're pulling down planes with the president of Austria in them. They're diverting planes because they thought that he was going to Austria. They land with this fucking guy, and they're like, let me check your plane. And then he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Because like, they thought that Snowden was on this cat's plane. Amazing. I mean, they're taking planes out of the sky, royal planes from other countries. It's, it's craziness. And why is it? Because this guy caught people doing shit that is illegal, immoral, and not wanted by any of the people that voted folks into power. If you had a vote today, should the NSA be able to look at everyone's email and everyone's fucking cell phone records? We all say no. A hundred percent. If you didn't say no, you're a bitch. You're not an American. <laughs> you're a fucking cunt, you fascist piece of shit. Right. You want any... Per but because... The, the, here's the deal about the government. They're just people, okay? There is no government. There's a bunch of people that act as the government, sure. but the reality of the government is they're just people. And if there was only and two of them... a lot of good them, people, by the way. I mean, you know. Imagine if there's only two, two government, and then you're the only population. It's two people in government, and you're the population, and they're telling you you can't smoke weed, we're going to lock you in a cage. You would kill them. You would say, okay, well, I'm living with these people I'm going to have to kill because they're trying to, they're trying to stop me from doing a bunch of shit that doesn't have anything to do with them. The, the the idea only becomes reasonable when you're governing 300 million people. Then it's okay to throw them in a cage if you catch them with a, a trunk full of heroin. But if we were on an island together and it was just you and me and I caught you doing heroin, I'd be like, dude, what are you doing? I, w I wouldn't build a fucking bamboo cage and you know okay. dig a hole and throw you in the bottom of the, it. The other issue is this. you you If you have a government where the the people in it – May be good people, but the but the only way to get ahead is by acting and behaving corrupt. That's where that's the insidious thing. Let me give you an example of when you go to Capitol Hill, and you are a politician and you're making 120 grand a year. You know what you're you know what that's you know what you are in. You're in grad school. You know what the you know what the big kahuna is. You know what you want to do. You want to work there for six, seven, eight years. And Lawrence Lexick does a good job of showing this. And then you want to go work. On K Street for a lobbying firm making five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars a year. That's the goal. 
government has become big business. Government has become a business unto itself. And it, it's, it's just like any other business. It becomes competitive. People want to get ahead. They want to, The only way to get ahead is to make progress. The only way to make progress is to move forward. What's it doing right now? I got to move it further. The only way to make money is not by pulling back mm-hmm. and having less war and less this and less that and less control. No, the way to make money inside this system is to keep it pushing forward. That's right. But I think it's going to lose its power. I just well, I don't I'm, think I'm it's going to be a revolution. Yeah, as you talk, I, 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 one of the things I, I was thinking about is I'm optimistic in the sense that I don't know how you control. You can't control the truth. The internet is the access to information that people have has never been better in that exactly. sense. And and we are developing our own autonomy in many ways. Look, at you and I have a business that we run primarily through the internet. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, developing an audience, doing podcasts, uh, all, all these kinds of things, going on the road. You can actually start becoming your own entity, your own sort of source of income, your own everything. And that's pretty new. I mean, so much of it is, you know, owning your own business, branding yourself mm-hmm. has never been easier in some ways. N- never been easier. Yeah. I would have never been able to do it before. And I was very fortunate enough to witness many different aspects of the birth of the internet. And one of the things that I got a chance to witness was I was there when the UFC existed only on the internet. The UFC lost its ability to be on cable. They got banned from cable. So the only way people knew about it is if you had direct TV, which wasn't as popular back then as it is now. I mean, we're talking about the 1990s, the early 90s. And... Uh, other than that, like you would, you would hear about it on the internet. You would go on these like forums with your shitty ass modem, your fifty six k modem, like chunk a chunk, chunk a chunk, chunk a chunk, as it would like slowly like move its way down the page until you could download the website. And we, you, that's how I found out almost about all the events and different things that were going on. The, like the mixedmartialarts dot com. It used to be, I think, it was submissionfighting dot com, and then it was mixedmartialarts dot com. There was MMA TV, and then it's mixedmartialarts dot com. And it became it's some what's that noise? Dialing. What is that? Oh, okay, don't do that. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, the um that sound I mean that those those websites from back then, like doing that like, was the only way people communicated about information. If it wasn't for that, no one would have any idea that it was even still on anymore. Once you pull shit off cable, it's like it doesn't exist anymore. Mm. It's gone. Yeah. But because of people like, Where the fuck did it go? What's going on? And so they would get online and people these communities sort of developed where people started talking about things online. So I got to see a sport from mixed martial arts literally go from almost dying to being partially revived to taking off all primarily through the momentum of the internet. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. It's, it's, this is a totally different Stand, world. Being a stand-up comic and being a musician or being, you know, it's, is I mean, look at even even like TV shows, House of Cards winning all these awards, man. It's strictly internet, you know. Yeah, we're getting yeah. everything from, from. Why wouldn't you? It's, well, they're bringing, but Netflix is bringing back Arrested Development. Yeah, I like, know. how crazy is that? People are like, what the fuck? Why did they cancel I, that I show? I was just with our, Will Arnett in New York. He was doing. He had. A, he's been doing it. They got him everybody together, and ten years later, they're all doing it. There's it's so crazy. many people on Netflix now, and Netflix just announced they're going to start doing stand-up comedy specials. I did my first special on Netflix. You know what? I One know. of my first specials. Yeah. Thinking about it. Why not? Fucking great. I still to this they watch, day. They all watch my first special on Netflix. Why yeah. wouldn't they watch? Why not just go right to Netflix and do it? To this day, I get tweets about my 2005 special yeah. from from Netflix. Yeah. That was the one, the beginning, the whole eat the sandwich thing mm-hmm. about uh, society and human beings are sort of like mold on a sandwich that I think we might be here to eat the sandwich. <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's the the horrifying revelation. Right. Did you? Uh, th- there's a, a recent article about uh, the Pacific Garbage Patch about the uh, the new uh, measurements of the Pacific Garbage How Patch. How big is it? Like the it's size closing. Of the US? It's closing in on California. God. It's getting getting closer to us. It is this. If you haven't paid attention, to this, this is something we haven't talked about on the podcast in a long time. But Google Pacific Garbage Patch. It's essentially like there's a tide. There's a current. Uh, the way the oceans move, the way the currents move, it developed this sort of area where all the shit that's floating in the ocean coalesced wow. and combined into this enormous soup of fucking rotting plastic. Wow. Slowly degrading plastic that kills millions of animals a year. It kills millions. Can't we go millions. in there with scoopers? I mean, <laughs> it's like Texas sized. Yeah. It's so big, it's insane. And it's not like a solid thing. It's like soup. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's little pieces. Yeah, and it, it in the sun and in the ocean, the salt water and the, the surf and everything like that, it slowly breaks down to it's like floating pellets and, of and, shit. Yeah, and, and what's uh, fish and everything eats it. They man. eat it and they die. Fish, birds, they eat it and they die. It's just millions of them. God. And it's the whole thing is enormous. And no one's cleaning it. And it's getting bigger. It's constantly getting bigger. I People have to believe, are though, that technology, shit. 3D printing and stuff like that, we're going to have less waste, less transport, right? I mean, I don't know. And that's an interesting possibility. I think the ultimate reality, uh, which would be the best, is if we develop something that can eat plastic. And somehow you can control it. Well, you they get, have those kinds yeah. of things, but it's, it's a close. question of, yeah. But it's also, look, what happens once it gets done eating plastic? Well, right. hmm, I like people too. Right, right, right. <laughs> There's no right. more plastic. Let's start eating feet. There are bacteria that you can, you know, that we do use, I guess, enzymes and bacteria that mm-hmm. actually do that now. But whether or not it's biocompatible and, you know, those are the questions that, you know, yeah. the march of science. Well, there's been some, some thought about doing various things to clean up uh, the ocean. And one of the things is uh, actually introducing certain algaes and introducing iron, uh, taking metal and creating metal structures and putting these metal structures in the bottom of the ocean that would uh, attract various types of algae. And that various types of algae, those would uh, reoxygenate through through you know their use of whatever the fuck they need in the uh, in the ocean and actually clean up some of the water and well, that, sometimes I feel like all these problems are put there for a reason and anything is surmountable. <laughs> oh, you're so cute. I know. Anything <laughs> it's is all for a reason. No, no, just anything is anything is solvable. Everything that the, happens happens for a reason. Yeah, well, that stuff is all annoying. <laughs> it's annoying, but then it's not right. Well, I'm, I'm with you. I believe. I know it. what you're saying. I believe. I believe it's a. Le- I mean, anything. Any challenge. Human beings do incredible things, man. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. Human beings come up with. Do you ever hear the story about Morse? The guy who created Morse code. Like that was the most revolutionary. It was the turning point in history. Right. Morse, Morse, because if you think about it, it <laughs> Alexander the Great. Yeah, yeah. In 19, it was 1820 when it was invented, I think, when, it hit, when the first time they actually, I think it was 1819 or something, when the first time they actually had a 10 mile stretch of, of wire and the guy was able to send a message. And before that, think about this, before that, the the guy the guy before eighteen whatever eighteen fifteen he had to send a message the same exact way Alexander the Great did either on horseback either on foot or either by boat okay and when Morse code came out and Morse was a guy who was a really really successful painter okay and he had nothing to do with electromagnetic magnetic fields or anything he was a really successful painter. His wife he gets we get a letter that his wife is very sick he loved his wife in Connecticut. By the time he gets there, she's not only dead, she's been buried. 
And he said, there's got to be a way I can get information faster because it killed him. It was this tragedy. Seven years later, he's on a boat. He meets this electromagnetic engineer. He starts talking to him. He gets fascinated with the idea that maybe I can come up with a way to use electromagnetic fields to send a message. About 10 years after that, he invented something called Morse code, this painter, because he was so bro- heartbroken over his wife. Wow. And, 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 by the, and the world has never been the same. That was a bigger communication leap, actually, than the internet, because it was the first time we were able to send instantaneous messages. Uh, and then I think five years later, we, we finally had a, a wire from New York to New Orleans, which was so much faster, and you could get instantaneous communication. The world was never the same. And, of course, we built on that. But there's, the history is so full of individuals that were trying to solve a problem that seemed insurmountable. And oftentimes it was because they basically, um, like Alexander Fleming, had a cold. Mm-hmm. He, he, his snot fell into – he had all these Petri dishes working on different spores and stuff. And he, he decided to clean stuff out himself. He never used to clean his own Petri dishes. He had a cold. His snot fell into one of the moldy dishes. And he realized that the bacteria under the microscope, the mold had killed all the bacteria. And he went, wait a minute. That's how he invented a little something called penicillin, penicillin. which then became antibiotics, which is why people are alive. It's crazy. So many, so many of these things either happened through accident with individuals or people were trying to solve a problem. Yeah, this is a, that's one of the things about life is that you need struggle. It seems like you shouldn't have it, but you need it. Oh and God. one of the worst things that can happen is when people don't struggle anymore, and then they start to suck. And they used to be awesome. You know, you see it with musicians time and time again. Mm-hmm. You see it with certain comedians. You see it with certain writers. You see it with certain actors. They they lose whatever the fuck it was that they had when they were struggling. When they were struggling, and they they had to show up, and they you know they just sometimes. It's good to to be criticized. Sometimes it's good to fail, yeah. and because th- that fail can be like a turbocharger that kicks you into the the next the next space. A wolf at the door is usually luxury. It's some not of struggle. my <laughs> biggest leaps in my comedy career have come after bombing. Me too. My biggest leaps. One of my biggest ones ever in New York came after bombing. One of my biggest ones in Boston came after bombing. I've had them in LA that came after bombing. Mm-hmm. One of my one of the reasons why I just I dove back into comedy. I bombed one night at the comedy store when I was doing news radio, and a bunch of the writers came to watch me, and I ate dick. Oh, I ate dick at one a.m. That's terrible. It was the main room at one a.m. You've yeah. been there, sure. and I that's sure the spots have. that I used to get back then. You know, I was a nobody. So I used to get these spots after everybody had ripped that place sideways, and there was twenty people left, and then I went on to this. Dead crowd with dead. My, my shitty Twenty alcoholics, some who don't speak English, just Ugh. stirring their drinks. Ugh. Oh, I've been, death. I've been there. It was death. Yeah. And then um, I realized, oh my god, I'm coasting. Like I realized, like I, I went up there. I thought I could do the same jokes I've been doing for years with no passion and no energy and no excitement to them. And I felt it while other people took it in because the, the room wasn't giving me nothing. I had, to, I had to bring it myself. And you can bring it if you're good. Sure. You can bring it if you actually have it. But that's when you find out if you're faking it. When there's 10 people in the crowd, you know, anything less than 50 people, you can't trick those fucking people into laughing. You're either funny or you're not. Right. But a 200 person, you can sometimes wide. We all know, and no disrespect, but we all know those those people that can go on at the Laugh Factory at like 830 on a Friday when everyone's laughing at everything. And you can watch this bizarre mayonnaise sandwich of an act 
where you're like, what did I even just see? But yet the pauses are in the right place and people are laughing and the, the, the person's dressed right and they, they, they don't stay too long. You yeah. know, you do like 10, 15 minutes and good enough. You, you hit on enough buzzwords that people like, oh, you brought up some things that people think is funny, like Kanye West or whatever. You know, it's enough. You did you, it. You were safe. You got through it. Yeah. But that same person, put them on the comedy store at 1 a.m. in front of 20 people, and they will get nothing. Zero. It's the death march. Yeah. Those shitty dry words tumbling out of your mouth like dirt, yeah. like literally dirt coming out of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they, they always say that, so they sort of say, why, why, why was Louis Armstrong so great? And some of those black uh, musicians who, who were doing incredible things with a horn. And there was this historian, I can't remember his name, said, well, when you were black back then, you weren't allowed to speak your mind. You expressed yourself through your horn, man. And and they, they, they he was trying to say something. He was really trying Makes to say sense. something through that horn, yeah. So it, it it really is a question of what your motivation is and how important inspiration and motivation is to keep yourself going, man. Yeah, you have to have something, man. You gotta you gotta be uneasy. I keep myself uneasy, you know. And I, I do it. I don't do it because I'm better than other people. I don't do it because I'm smarter. I don't do. I do it because I failed. And I realize why I failed. I realize what what made me fail. And then I don't do it that way anymore. It's really that simple. I am. I'm not better than anybody. What I am is a guy who did a lot of shit and failed miserably a bunch of times, and then hated that feeling right, and made sure that I didn't do that again. So the the only reason why I keep myself uncomfortable now is out of sheer terror. The the feeling of that I had before when I would when I've bombed or when I've when I've half assed something or when I haven't I haven't pushed as hard as I can. I'm also driven. I'm also driven. I want to see what I have inside me. I'm curious. I'm also really driven by curiosity. That's an ego thing, isn't it? I don't know. I don't think so. The idea of seeing what's inside you. I don't don't think it's an ego thing. I think for me, it's inside you. What's inside me? My my buddy, my buddy, I was just with. I went to visit in Europe. He's he's made about a billion dollars. Went to college with him, and I'm not kidding when I say that. He's got the craziest house. And I said, "What drives you, man?" I said, "You own the two fastest growing banks in Europe. You've got crazy money. The staff were flying around in your private jet. What what is it that drives you?" And he said, he looked at me. He goes, he goes. Look, man, I like building things because I'm never sure if I can really do it. It's just always a rush to be able to try to build something yeah. and see if I still have it, see if I can still do it, see if it's a new challenge and just try it. And it has nothing to do with the money. That's just – he's made more than anybody could ever spend. Yeah, well, that's when it becomes like a weird game that you're playing. That's what it is. Like for Bill Gates, at a certain time, Bill Gates had to realize that he could never spend all that shit. If you get, oh, yeah. if you really do get to keep it, like I'm not sure what happens when you have 98 billion dollars when it goes up 50 billion and then down when the market shifts. Like that's the weirdest thing about those guys when you look at like their net worth. Yeah. And then like it used to be 90 million or 90 billion, now it's 40 billion. You're like, whoa, 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 yeah. wait, where the fuck did that go? Right. Like what happened there? Right. Right. Like you lost 50. What? Wait a minute. What are you even saying? But at a certain point in time. What if he stopped now? Hmm. How much money would he have every year just to spend? It would be an insane amount of money. He's well, there's done. That, there's that thing about Bill Gates ten years ago when they said if he dropped forty thousand dollars out of his pocket, it wouldn't be worth him turning around to get it because his time <laughs> is worth much more than the time it would take to actually turn around and pick up the forty thousand oh, dollars. It would make it would make it would be financially prudent for him to keep 
walking. That hurts my brain. <laughs> I love that stuff. No, no, no. You dropped uh, forty thousand dollars, whatever it was, or something crazy. Like I was um, looking online at uh, houses that, like, uh, you know, rich people own, like Oprah style houses, yeah. and Oprah, oh, Oprah's houses everywhere. Um, but she's got this house in Montecito, uh, which is the nice area, uh, outside of Santa Barbara, like really old, old school, beautiful homes, really beautiful, beautiful neighborhood near the ocean. And her house, it's like, how do you have enough money for this is one of your houses? It doesn't even make any sense that one person can accumulate that much money. And then when you stop and look at it and go, wait a minute, how did she do that? She's just talking. Like Oprah doesn't do shit. She's not juggling. She doesn't play guitar. She's inspiring. She doesn't play guitar. She doesn't, she's not the fastest race car driver. She doesn't pole vault. All she does is talk and like, oh, we'll be right back. And like, she's got a hundred fucking gazillion dollars. Because she was a source of major inspiration for millions of women. It's insane to look at her house. Her house in- Is it uh, crazy? Oh my God. It's insane. It's incredible. Well, I remember when, when I was doing Fat Actress and she was redoing Kirstie Alley's Kitchen. And uh, the kitchen. Oprah was doing it. Uh huh. Why was and she doing that? I don't know. Something that she decided to do redo Kirstie Alley's kitchen. It was going to be on the program. You know that they showed it on at Oprah. Oh, and I, I was see. there while they were renovating it. I believe the. I'm sorry, Kirstie, if I'm talking out of line, but um, I think it cost seven hundred grand just to redo <laughs> the kitchen, dude. Seven hundred grand to redo the kitchen. What kind like, of fucking like, kitchen what? was it? What are you talking? Uh, I don't know, just big. Yeah, it's not worth seven hundred grand to me, but it look it was all detailed with incredible mosaic and all that stuff. But well, you, know. you got to think that she's like really big, and she probably eats a lot of food, and so I'm you need a lot of refrigerators and shit. <laughs> she, as far as like hot chicks that got gigantic, she's yeah. numero uno. Yeah. There's never been like a super hot chick who got gigantic and then stayed arrogant. She's very extreme. Yeah, like stayed out there, stayed. Bold, She's you know, bold out dog, there, man. you know, would talk about losing the weight and then lose weight, you know, drop a hundred pounds, yeah. you know, do a fucking weight loss commercial. She went cold on me. We, we hung out. I loved her kids, and we did that show, and then she just never called me back. I was like, "What happened after you did the show? You stopped being no, friends?" No, even during she, we while we were doing Fat Actress, something happened where she um, did you fuck her. No, no. How dare she, you? No, but she just went cold on me. I never understood it. She, she just, she just went dead cold on me. And uh, you uh, assign? Is she a Scientologist? Never even looked at me. Yeah, she was a Scientologist. I'm reading Going Clear now oh, on your book. recommendation. Great book. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. Woo. Woo. Just you wait. Brother. Yeah, I'm about fifty pages in. I just started mm. oh. it. Oh, oh, please continue. But please it's, continue. it's, uh, it's absolutely fascinating. He also wrote a great book, Lawrence Wright, about uh, the, the Looming Tower, which I also read about the. Uh, the rise of Islamic fundamentalism and mm. culminating in 9-11 were fascinating. You have to read that next. You have to. You just have to. So I would love to. Yeah, that's – any religious fundamentalism scares the shit out of me. Yeah. It's just – It's a prison of Scientology belief. is a religious fundamentalism and that's what's fascinating about his book. It, religious fundamentalism has nothing to do with the truth. It has nothing to do with some ancient shit that God told people. Right. It has to do with another possibility of the human existence just like we were talking about a car that a car has a bunch of shit it can do it can hit the brakes you could corner at 1g you can accelerate to 60 in five seconds it has all these things that it can do well it can also fall into a cult that's what a person can do like this out of all the shit that a person can do a person could make coffee a person can use a computer a person can have sex and make a baby oh they can also fall into a cult they can also because we were in uh, utah 
filming my show last week, Duncan and I, and uh, we showed up at the airport, and it was one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my life. They had these people that were returning from missions. And uh, they're they're elders. They call them elders in the church. All people there with signs, right? Screaming like they're rock stars. I mean, high pitch cheers and screaming, and with these giant signs that say "Welcome home, Elder Richardson." Welcome home, Elder White. My parents live in Park City, so I see. Yeah, yeah, that's where we went. We went. Well, we went to Park City. That's we we ate at Park City, and then we did our thing, uh, which was about two hours outside of that, which is God's country, man. Just fucking. Beautiful and Park City. I'd only been there in the winter. We went skiing there once in the winter, and it was beautiful. But then we went there in the summer, and they told me what's even better than skiing is you take the lifts. The lifts operate all year round. You take the lifts and you take a mountain bike down those hills, those perfect ski hills. They say it's insane because you got you got brakes now, so you can go fucking. You're driving a fucking a bike down those hills. It's supposed to be amazing. You don't have to drive up. You take the fucking the the lift back up. Done it. Oh, if you don't. With yeah. a dirt bike, no, a not, mountain not, bike, not a mountain bike. It's supposed to be amazing. It's yeah. supposed to be even more fun than skiing, which sounds crazy. But uh, the 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 area there, it's so goddamn gorgeous, man. I've been hiking. It's up so there. gorgeous. I leave my parents' house and just go hiking, and it's just it's I do it alone. It's incredible. It almost doesn't bother me that all these fucking people are crazy religious. Well, there. Park City, there are there are no <laughs> there aren't a lot of Mormons. No, they're City. not. It's yeah. it's Salt Lake, yeah. but you got to land in Salt Lake. Yeah. And that's what you see. Hey, but listen, they're nice people. I was going to say, they're very nice people. They're nice. They keep a very clean uh, state. I got no problem with Mormons. I never got beat up by a Mormon. I Listen, I, I have some friends that were Mormons. We were friends with them when they were Mormons, and they eventually bailed. It's really kind of interesting to watch them bail on mm. being a Mormon. Uh, because, uh, like, you know, they just, they got to a certain point in their life where they're like, what the fuck are we doing? Which is really interesting to see when people hit, like, 40, mm. and then they start doing that. Mm-hmm. But these people living in this state... And a giant percentage of them being involved in this one cult. and But that cult seems to work for them, for the most part. Like, they get those weird uh, aberrations. Like, they branch off, like, occasionally and have that one guy that got arrested. What was his name? Jeff something or another? That, that fake. Oh, yeah. yeah. That what what the was, fuck well, that, was that guy's he, name? He, the, the Mormon church, um, I believe, outlawed polygamy. Uh, like in eighteen, you know, very, very, like in the eighteen hundreds, right? Then, and then there was there was a sect that split off a bunch of guys who were perverts who were like bullshit. I don't want to <laughs> Which I sympathize with. Jeffries, right? Then, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And he yeah. went to jail for a long time. Yeah. Well, what's even more interesting is that one of those groups that branched off because didn't want to give up the polygamy mm. was the guy who was running for president, Mitt Romney's family. Really? Mitt Romney is a super Mormon. In fact, his family lives in Mexico. His father couldn't run for president because his father was born in Mexico. Really? So Mitt Romney was born in America, but his dad was a part of the cult that moved to Mexico because they didn't want to give up the pussy. <laughs> so they have these, it used to be. Uh, I might just vote for Mitt Romney next Back time. before there were cars. It didn't matter if you were in Mexico. Mm. It's like you're in Mexico, you're in the United States. In the 1800s, it was like they were like, "Well, if you want to, you want to be an American, 
You cannot have multiple wives. They're like, oh, but I can have multiple wives and I just cross that river. Yeah. Right. You take care. See you later. Ta-ta for now. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're over there and then someone invents something called cars. Well, then the whole world changes because now people are moving back and forth and it's real easy to do so. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, oh shit, there's a wall between me and the most prosperous area and it's right over there. And then the area around you becomes filled with people that are involved in something called the drug war. And then you're fucked. So now his family that lives in Mexico, they're armed to the teeth. Really? They live in giant compounds. Where'd okay, you see everybody. All this? this is all vice. Vice.com, man. Wow. My friend Shane Smith told me about this. This is the first time I heard about it. And then I, there's multiple articles confirming this. This Vi- is not vice like. This is a very interesting phenomenon. They're badass. Yeah. And it's not like they're. Um, this is speculation no. and theory. No, this is real. I mean, vice people have gone there. Not just vice. Many, 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 many people have d- documented these Mormon cults in Mexico. And there's some serious conflict with the, the drug lords in Mexico. They kidnap them because kidnapping is a huge source of income in like mexico city and a lot of places as far as like crime kidnapping people is a big deal to the point where they tell you don't drive around in a bulletproof car but bulletproof cars specifically because they target those because they figure you have money yes because oh you you, what's in there some money what's in there you hiding something is there a jewel of a person in there that i can sell and so they're, they were doing that with, economy. with the families, like these, these cults that were living in these giant compounds. There's like several families that moved to Mexico. And Mitt Romney's family is a part of that. I'd get out of there. <laughs> yeah, you think? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's one of the weirdest aspects of society in the year 2013 is that we are connected to one of the most dangerous areas in the world. Juarez, Mexico is one of the most dangerous spots to be a human being and live in the world. More dangerous, in fact, than Iraq was. More well, I people. think that's where the Zetas came out of. Mm-hmm. And I think they've been... I think yeah. they've been kind of... Desperate. <sighs> they've been kind of brought under control. I don't know. The the, the 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 issue is that the economy of Mexico and the the power structure, the entrenched power structure itself, is relies on the drug mm-hmm. economy. From and the corruption just completely out of control. Yeah. I mean the cops. Which, and by the way, their neighbors, the United States, are the biggest consumers of that product. Mm-hmm. So you know, as long as there is a demand, they're going to supply it. And uh, either, but don't legalize it. Don't legalize it. We'll just, we got fifty-two thousand body bags and counting, I think, in Mexico since this well, shit happened. You know, Mexico has silently decriminalized drugs. Well, I don't, I don't blame them, and I'll tell you why. Because they've been the ones bearing the brunt with real tragedy in their bodies and their children and their neighborhoods. That They're the ones who have been dealing with this. Yeah. We've been the ones consuming it. And it's got, you know, so I, 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 again, yet again, you know, if people want to do something, they're going to do it. Stop trying to control people's behavior. Yeah, they, they decriminalized everything in 2009 to try to slow everything down. It's very rarely talked about. Like when we talk I about that, decriminalization. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in hearing that, uh, but I, I heard a little of it. Well, we, when people talk about decriminalization, the, the example they always give is Portugal. Because Portugal did essentially the same thing. They made all drugs legal. They decriminalized everything. You can't sell them, but you can possess them. Mm. If you get caught, they give you treatment. Mm-hmm. No one goes to jail. Mm-hmm. Well, when Portugal did that, their fucking rates of addiction dropped. Their rates of crime dropped. But let me ask you this. when when And you know more about it than I do. Weed, for all intents and purposes, in Colorado, for example, is legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the state. That's a statutory law. It is still not a federal law, exactly. so the Fed can come in and actually Anytime. technically close those re- deposit, uh, repositories down and all yes. that, right? Okay. Yes. Not only that, even the medical 
like the idea of medical marijuana. The, the, the federal government does not recognize the fact that it's even a medicine. So the federal government, the reason why marijuana is a Schedule One substance is not because it's the most dangerous, because if it was based on proof that it, was, it would be impossible to put marijuana in Schedule One. But they can put marijuana in Schedule One because Schedule One means has no medicinal value that's, that's recognized by the state, by the federal government. So because of the fact they put it in a Schedule 1, then it refutes all the medical marijuana clinics. Because but, you can have medical yeah. cocaine. You can have medical – there's applications right. for opiates sure, sure. like pills. Those are all legal. Like so you Novocaine can sell those. Like is actually a cocaine derivative. Lidocaine, yes. Lidocaine, yeah. And um, how about uh, opiates? You know, I mean sure. – Morphine. Yeah, and you know, Oxycontins, all that stuff. Those yeah. are pills. You could buy those. You, you can ask your doctor for Vicodins and they will give them to mm -hmm. you if you're in pain. Those are drugs, okay? Yeah. And But the federal government can't stop your doctor from prescribing those because they're scheduled too. So cocaine and heroin are both Schedule II drugs because they have medical applications, oh, whereas okay. they try to pretend that marijuana doesn't. And that way, they can stop medical marijuana from starting because it's a plant proved, as opposed to a like medicine. For glaucoma and things, it helps. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They've proved it till the cows come home. Right. It's not just. It's not. It's not based on like logic, reason, or something being fair and ethical. It's based entirely money, money. on money. Yeah. Entirely on money. Yeah. And that's so. There's an money, argument. There's, there's more money in 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 enforcing marijuana laws, keeping people in jail, than there is in. Oh, do you want better? There's an economy right. based on enforcing marijuana laws. If marijuana is responsible, and this is a true fact, is responsible for a, a large percentage of people that are in federal prison. A large percentage, more than twenty yeah. percent of all the people that are in prison are in there because of marijuana, or it's growing it, or selling it, or whatever. If that's the case. All those people get out. All those people now would not get put in prison in the future. No one would get put in prison that did those things. And now so they prisons, and raise their own children? prisons will shrink. There will be less people in the prisons. There will be less prison guards. Prison, oh, no. prison guard unions do not want that. So prison guard unions campaign and, 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 and use their money and their finances to lobby heavily to make sure that marijuana laws stay in place. Once again, an example of how... Washington has become an mm -hmm. economy of influence. Once yeah. again, why you got to be you got to know how the system works and and the injustices it creates. When a special interest group can affect other people's lives because there's an economic advantage in it, even if it's an immoral. Yeah, law. I don't think anybody has an argument with it. Right. The ar the but, argument with you, rather the argument is how to, or the question rather becomes how do you stop that from happening? Take money out of politics. Yeah, but who the you know? There are too ways late. to do it. There, like are, no, there are ways to do it. It's not easy. It's like taking and, that and, plastic out of the middle right. of the ocean. It's essentially the same problem. Lawrence Lessig has ideas, and, and a lot of who the hell is do. that guy? And how how can they kill him? His Mercedes is going to go right into a tree at 100 miles an hour, like Michael Hastings, <laughs> not hitting the brakes. Right. Do you know right. about that? No. You don't know about that. No. You don't know about Michael Hastings. No. Wow. You're a weird guy, man. You know about some strange shit, but you don't know about some things. Sometimes things are like in the public consciousness that yeah, you're completely blissfully yeah, unaware of. Yeah. The Michael Hastings uh, conspiracy is he's a journalist for the Rolling Stone, 33 years old, cocky fuck, you know, get, getting people's faces on television about generals and stuff about what they're doing and you guys are doing this and that.
exposes a bunch of shit, gets people in trouble. He's doing a, a, an article about the CIA, okay? His car drives into a tree. This is after he told everybody the FBI is investigating him and his family. And, you know, if anybody, you know, uh, gets contacted by the FBI, just get a lawyer. Like, he's, he's saying all this stuff, like, publicly. His car goes 100 miles an hour without ever hitting the brakes right into a tree. Mm. Okay, he bursts into flames and dies. Okay, no, doesn't hit the brakes. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. Judge drives straight into a tree. They take his body, cremate it against the wishes of his family. Then <laughs> the, uh, the, the former security advisor, I think it was a security advisor to uh, Clinton and uh, Herbert Walker Bush, um, he comes out and says that it's possible to uh, take over a car, a modern car today, including manipulate the steering, the it's brakes, a computer. and it's the a computer. Yes, yes. So he says you can turn a car into a drone. Jesus. And remote control a car. Jesus. And suicide someone with it. And so this guy who is uh, spending all of his time and all of his effort, very high profile, trying to take out the people in the world that are the best at killing people. All of a sudden, drives his car 100 miles an hour into a tree, doesn't hit the brakes once. And even people that aren't inclined to subscribe to conspiracy theories just go, wait a minute, what the fuck? I've had some people that were, they're very serious folks, okay? And they've sent me messages just saying, okay, what the fuck is this? Like, I'm not conspiracy. About the Hastings So many people have written this message. I'm not a conspiracy theorist theorist but dot 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 and then sent me that i mean scholars like people that i've met that are you know have phds and they're looking at this and they're going whoa he's he he exposed some crazy shit far-fetched to believe that there are people in power that will kill you if you're threatening their position it seems to me that's what history would suggest but it's it's it goes along the lines what we're talking about how anonymous you can be and also about what's possible you know anybody at the nsa i don't know anybody no i don't know anybody at the nsa i don't know any of those guys i don't know any i don't know one person so you know, yeah, I believe that there are there are probably people who could manipulate a car. <laughs> yes, it can I mean, be done now. It's a it's fact. A really, pretty wild. No, it's a fact. It can be done now. I want to get that Tesla, by the way. Whether it's been done is not a fact, yeah. but it's a fact that it can be done. Wow. There's there's absolutely wow. look at that hacking a car is way too easy. These these guys who have looked at it have said that this is you know you're not talking about going past faster than the speed of light. You're talking about something that can be done. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only that, a guy came out with an iPhone application, a $25 iPhone application that can take over your car. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Some, someone came up with an application for a cell phone that can take over a car. And, he's, and one of the reasons why he talked about it, because he wanted to let people know, like, hey, look, I made this. Like, you got look, know that this is real. Okay. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but I want everybody to know that this is possible. Talk about being able to steal a car really easily. Yeah. Well, a car is a computer. You know, and again, it sort of goes to what we were talking about, about one day there's going to be a point in time where money's not real. There's also going to be a point in time where objects aren't real either because there are computers and you're going to be able to control it all. Yeah. It's like, who's going to... This, is, this gonna, is really I, I, amazing. I never, I never thought of that. I'm literally looking at that Tesla. I want to get that electric car. Oh, that's you the know, craziest. You should get an, a 1970 Porsche. Get, a, get an, old, <laughs> an old car that can't... Because <laughs> they're always updating that car. They're, yeah. they're always downloading information into it, that Tesla, right? Yeah, you want a car with a carburetor? <laughs> 
and uh, just, no anti-lock brakes. No, the old Porsches are not bad. It's what a white you, car. What do you think of that? You know a lot about cars. I what love do, Tesla. It's a great car. Well, no. Um, the issue, I mean, yes or no. Um, okay. You can't have it as your primary car, your Why? only car. That's what I would Because get if the shit hits the fan, you're stuck. Okay, gasoline is going to exist for a while. Right. Okay, even uh, if there's some sort of a pandemic, Walking Dead type scenario, you can be able to find yeah, po- another, at least pockets car. of gas. Yeah, but, but the issue with these cars right now is twofold. One, there's not enough super stations. And what a super station is, you can go there and in 10 minutes they can charge it like 50%. It's pretty badass. It only takes like 10 minutes. The The other way to do it, I think it's like, I think it's within 30 minutes or an hour. They get it up to like 90%. But then to get to that last, the extra 10%, it's quite a bit more. It's a pain in the dick, man. If, you, if, you, if you're just driving back and forth and you know you're going to park it in your house every night and commute, it goes about 300 miles. And that's yeah. good. Yeah. That's fine. Like for LA traffic during the day, that's fine. It'll work. But if you want to go somewhere, like if you want to go to Vegas... You might not make it. <laughs> You're going to have to stop somewhere along the way and yeah. charge your car. And it might take a half an hour. I'm, I'm getting one because I go to Vegas twice a year. I'm getting a Tesla. Yeah. I mean, if you're not like a travel, you're not going to go to Yosemite. Yeah, no. You're not going to drive up to San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's a beautiful car. It's a beautiful car. I interviewed uh, Martine Rothblatt. She um, is the, the woman who, she actually invented um, DirecTV, she, or um, not DirecTV, uh, XM Radio, Satellite Radio. Wow. And... Uh, had uh, one of those things. She had one of those that. Tesla things, and I was like, "Ooh, this is badass!" Like this thing. She's the one who there's a, the in the video for this uh, new show that I'm doing. Um, uh, she has a, a robot made of her spouse. It's called Bina Forty Eight. Her wife's name is Bina, and she has this Bina Forty Eight robot that's a head that talks to you. It's connected to a computer, and you talk to it and ask it questions, and it answers and responds. And, and it's like this is like one step further than the last one that she had, which is one step further than the previous one. It's like she's slowly but surely updating these things till eventually it's a real robot. Like eventually it's not just going to be a robot of her spouse. It's going to be her, her spouse. spouse. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a, it's, it's an inevitability, but she had that de- badass Tesla, Tesla. Ass. Yeah. I, I, I want to get that. It's a wicked car, man. It's fast too. It's weird fast because it all is like immediate and instant. It's like there's no gears. How long until the other car companies come along and have their version of the Tesla? Because I think it's selling really well. <sighs> pretty pretty Why sure you they would, it? for sure. What Tesla figured out was how to make a car that's electric doesn't look like a piece of shit. Right. They were the first ones yeah. with that. It's uh, like a badass that, car. I'm not even in cars. You know me. I drive I the lamest cars. I actually want one. Well, that that sports car they have, too, is wicked. <sighs> that thing is fast. Yeah, it's re- but it's really rear weight biased because of all the lithium-ion batteries in the mm-hmm. trunk. There's a lot of weight in the rear. That's it. That, that right, that sentence right there is a guy who knows cars. It's very weight biased, the lithium battery. I'm like, oh, yeah, all right. Well, you know, Porsches are rear bi- balanced um, for the most part, except for the Caymans and Boxsters, which are actually the better designed cars. They're, they're in a really tricky situation because the 911, since the beginning, when they first designed it, they designed it with an engine that's hung out behind the rear wheels. Nobody else does that. There's not another car that does that. Everybody else does either a mid-engine format, which means that the or engine the is front. in front 
of the wheels, or it means it's in front of the front wheels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which allows you know the weight in the front. That's a good fifty-fifty distribution way. The way have the the front engine car. That's why I like the Lexus LFA, that super fast, crazy, hyped up Lexus. That was a front engine car. The Corvette ZR1, that's a front engine car. But a lot of the exotics like Ferrari mid engine, the NSX, the Acura NSX, that was a mid engine car for for balance issues, just like the Cayman and the Boxster. But Porsche keeps their engine now back still. So they have to like engineer all these ways to avoid what's called lift throttle oversteer because of the fact that you have this weight in the back. As you're going around a corner, if you let off the brakes, your front end comes up and then the ass end goes forward and spins. Yeah. So you have to keep the front end down. So you have to keep accelerating into a corner because you've got this massive pendulum behind you. Yeah, so if you know how to use it, it's wicked. Yeah. So if you know how to use it, you actually know how to accelerate at a corner better. You know how to like judge it and gauge it. But not in that fucking Tesla. No. Okay, you got a bunch of batteries back there and little skinny yeah. ass tires. Yeah, yeah, Doesn't yeah. have like, you know, like if you look at a Porsche like that, my GT3, the RS, those tires are like 15 inches wide. They're yeah. fucking giant in the back. That is a ra- that ra- that's yeah. the car you have out there. That's a race car. Yeah, it is. But that's the point is like it's designed. It knows how to deal with this rear weight. I don't think the Tesla is that sporty as far as like, I think there's actually been tests. I think Chris Harris is one of my favorite uh, automotive journalists. Does a lot of cool videos on uh, cars. They took a Tesla around a track and it was like fucking sliding all oh, over really? the place. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't, I don't try. But I mean, what are you doing? You going on a track or are you just yeah. driving it around town? I'm just going to drive around town. Spa- and you're not even looking at that one. You're not looking at the little little no, sports car one. one. You're looking at the, the big one. one. Yeah, yeah the, the, the big one's beautiful. Yeah. But there's only them and then there's the Karma, the Fisker Karma, yeah, but I think yeah, they yeah. went out of business. I think they did, yeah. Do you know what happened with them? No. <laughs> Listen to this. They had a gang of them parked uh, on the docks when Hurricane Sandy hit. And the water came up really high, and it flooded the docks. And so these cars got flooded, and they exploded. They started exploding. And then they realized, oh, you just got this massive electrical power source, and uh, water gets on it, and it explodes. Well, good thing we found out through Hurricane Sandy. Instead of driving through standing water. It's raining. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could be driving through standing water and your fucking car would explode. Look That's at that. Crazy. Those all those cars, they burnt to the to the ground. Wow. Yeah, they exploded and burst. I think it was like fifteen cars Whoa. or something crazy like that. Does it say in the article how many cars? They lost a shitload of them. They all got wet and exploded. <laughs> I, I, I have an. Exp- I, uh, speaking of explosive, watch how I watch how I change it. I have an explosive new shell coming out. Uh, no, no, not that. But Sixteen. I, w- I will be at wow. the Schaumburg Improv. No, but here's my question: um, Rory McDonald. Uh, Jake Ellenberg. That's this weekend, son. What's your call? Chaos. That's my call. Who the hell knows? Wicked. There's a, those are two pit bulls, man. Yeah. Th- those are two elite of the elite. Yeah. Ellenberger has a lot more experience with high-level competition, though. He's, so fought, some, he's I mean, fought Nate Marquardt, all kinds of guys. Oh, yeah. He's knocked Nate Marquardt silly. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's a beast. Jake Ellenberger is a fucking beast. Knocked out Jake Shields. Ellenberger is a motherfucker, man. He hits hard. He's fast as shit. And the way he took out Nate Marquardt opened up a lot of people's eyes. He's real dangerous. How did he, how did he do that? I mean, Nate's it's such a good a question. Killer, you know? It's a yeah. real good question, especially when you look at Nate's previous fight. Well, the previous fight was not a good one. He yeah. fought Tarek Safadine and lost his yeah. title, got leg kicked. Safadine just leg kicked the shit out of him. I don't think he, he just fought to, real yeah, smart. He, he didn't plan for that or something, you know. Well, I think 
I don't think you could take it away from Safadine because I think he fought the worst case scenario fight when you're fighting like a really what Safadine is is a very technical kickboxer. Mm. He's very technical. He does things the right way. Marquardt is athletic and powerful and explosive, but no disrespect to his camp, I don't think he's trained in the, the like the technical level of Safadine. Mm-hmm. Safadine was like a real professional kickboxer. Right. And his Muay Thai, his like his kickboxing is very much on point. And if you think you could eat leg kicks from a guy like that, no. you're mistaken. And there's a lot of guys that are real good that especially Markhart coming off of that fight with Tyron Woodley. Mm-hmm. And Tyron Woodley's a motherfucker, right? Yep. So he knocks out Tyron Woodley with this video game combination of punches yep. that looks just spectacular. He's on top of the world. He thinks he's the crusher at 170. He's going to beat everyone's ass. And how is Safadine going to fuck with him? Sure. Well, Safadine just starts kicking that leg, man. Slowly but surely Frankie in a Edgar, fifth round when fight. He, when he fought uh, Jose Aldo, I remember watching, and I was there. Actually, I think I watched on we did stand up that night, and I watched Frankie Edgar get kicked a couple times by that crazy Jose Aldo leg kick. And guess what he did? The third time, he dove into a double leg. He yeah. literally dove into the like no hesitation. He's like, "Oh, you want to yeah. say that And then guess what? Jose Aldo stopped leg kicking him. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. That's when I I looked at Frankie Edgar. I was like, "You are a you're such a badass that you took that leg kick away because Jose Aldo yep. ruins careers with that fucking." He leg does. Yeah, if you stand in front of them, and that's yeah. something. Well, it's you know what? It's the evolution of the sport. People right. are realizing, like the people used to always did, give did me Marquardt's- shit. You know, that was one of the number one criticisms that I get from people that I bring up leg kicks too much. Like, why isn't he leg kicking? Why isn't he mm. leg kicking? It's like well, this because you've never been leg kicked. If you've been leg kicked correctly, like we're starting to see it slowly but surely. All these various techniques entering into MMA. Mm. Like we didn't see nearly as many head kicks in the past. Like the early days no of Taekwondo, MMA yeah. it was very rare. Yeah. But now people are wheel kicking people and knocking people out. This is stuff that I've been calling for for like the longest time. Yeah. And it's not because I'm just, you know, looking for some unrealistic aspect of the sport to emerge. No, it's because they're super effective. Mm. So you get like guy like Aldo that shows that like in the fight with Uriah Faber, perfect example. <laughs> Uriah Faber, if you oh. never followed it, for like weeks after that fight, he was fucked. I His talked to leg him was it. twice the size. He told me he was gonna faint. He said he told me he said I thought I was gonna faint. Yeah, it, it, it was so it hurt so badly. I thought I was gonna faint in the ring. That's yeah. in the cage. I'm well, sorry, Ryan, tough if, that I'm, kid if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm yeah, he's so tough. Yeah, he's an animal. And I don't know if that's exactly what he said. We talked about it. He, and that's I think he used the word faint, and I was like, that's that's a that's a warrior. That well, he, a lot of people would have quit. Oh, Uriah Faber. Faber, by the way, I make an argument. He broke both his hands on on Mike Brown's head mm-hmm. and kept fighting and was using he his elbows. He did it by, by the, the second round. He's the toughest yeah. son of a bitch. He had a fight th- rounds three, four, and five he's, with two broken he's hands. such a badass. He's yeah, he's a beast. A, what a beast. And Mike Brown's a fucking beast. Oh, so imagine Brown's being stuck in that guy. This is after the guy knocks you senseless oh. and takes your title in the oh, previous fight. Forget it. And then you got to fight the next fight with him with two broken hands. Good luck. Yeah, look, it's it's a tough man sport. But son. so so Ellenberger, <laughs> Ellenberger, and and, and, Roy, and Roy McDonald. McDonald. It's look, Roy McDonald's a he's bad a motherfucker, dude. He's a bad motherfucker. He's super technical. He's super technical and driven, and he's psycho. Yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah, Roy McDonald. 
definitely has a screw loose. <laughs> he just he gets in this cage and he just stares. Hey, like he just he he's just, real, man. That's what he is. He's the real deal. He's a fucking killer. He's coming to get you. He's it's a not, killer. He's a killer. He's, yeah, they ain't playing no games. And, and he might not get you if you know you might be able to get him. But he's gonna he's gonna get better if you do get him. He's gonna go back to the drawing board and come back better. I mean, he's been got before by like Carlos Condit. Carlos Condit beat him and yeah, stopped when him. When he was younger, too. Yeah, when he was younger. And guess what? He came back after that and was even scarier. You know, and he calls out Carlos Condit. He's like his lips are trembling and shit when he talks about Condit. And you're like, oh Jesus! Like, like you that's know. another guy I have tremendous respect for, Carlos Condit. Condit, he's a beast. I think yeah, he's, he's so beast. good. He's so good. Yeah, that he's, George St. Pierre fight, man. He almost got him. He Hit him never, with that head kick. He never loses his composure, man. Condit is very special. He's, he's tough as shit. He's tough man. as nails, and he's always in shape, oh. like five round conditioning shape. The kids just stud. Yeah, built like a tennis pro. Yeah, he's not like the most athletic guy. You know, he doesn't move the quickest. He doesn't have the most no, power. No. You know, he's just an animal. Smart. He's a yep. smart, smart fighter. Never loses his cool. Tough as shit. Yeah. But that Roy McDonald kid, that cat's uh, he's no joke. They're, I mean, this is the first time he's fought a guy like Ellenberger, though. I mean, you got to think he beat the the most impressive uh, victories of his c- career, whether it's uh, Nate Diaz. Nate is essentially a 155 pounder, yeah. or BJ Penn. BJ Penn was not just a 155 pounder. pounder. No, he's a 155. Yeah, 155. He was the 155 champion. No, he I had know a hard that. time saying, making that weight. He could probably suck. No, now. no, 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 no. He had BJ? a hard time making 155. Yeah. It was not. That's why he stopped doing it. Okay. That's why he went up to 170. But. I mean, he's, these guys are nothing compared to Ellenberger. Right. Ellenberger's a legit 170, and he's a crusher. He's a scary 170. He's a 170 that puts guys in la-la land with one punch. <laughs> so it's a really interesting fight. Very interesting. And a lot. what's really crazy is, although Ellenberger has definitely fought like the higher competition at 170, Rory's actually ranked higher than him by a lot of people and uh, is the favorite coming into this fight just based on talent alone, yeah. based on people watching him take apart guys like Che Mills, take apart also, BJ he's Penn. Also, he's also like GSP's training partner. Mm-hmm. And I believe... Not correct, anymore, by the way. I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. he said he would fight GSP, I believe, right? I think they stopped training together. Um, yeah, because, I don't, yeah, because he kind this, of alluded to the fact that he would be willing to fight you. I, I shouldn't say this until um, I talked to both of them or either one of them because I haven't talked to them about this. But what I've read recently is that he's been training on like the other side of the gym. Is that like, you know, they yeah. realize that eventually they're going to fight. If this, I mean, he doesn't want to, you know, but eventually. Like, he said there's two guys you wouldn't fight, GSP and Weidman. Chris Weidman is also, they've trained together. Like, oh, I didn't know that. There's a video of uh, Rory and Weidman training together. But, but who knows if that's even true. I, I mean, think Weidman's bigger isn't he oh yeah he's 185 yeah i mean just his frame and everything not that much bigger you watch the two of them spar together it's kind of shocking really rory's a big kid he's a big kid i think he i mean he's walks around over 200 pounds before he starts (laughs) his cut when he gets down to 170 he does it like you know when he's 170 he's fucking shredded i I have a question (laughs) because i've i've seen this guy train hector lombard's gonna suck down the 170 what are you talking about no it's not a what are you talking about at all how is he he gonna do that what what are you talking about he's not he's five seven He's thick. And yeah, yeah, I've yeah. He's him. muscular. Yeah. But by the way, he should have been fighting at 170 his entire career. Really? Yeah, 100%. When you see a guy that is competing in a smaller organization and crushing people, and then you see him fight in the UFC and you see him start losing, and he gets out muscled by big guys like Tim Bosch, and you you know you realize he's losing to Yushin Okami, and you go, oh, I see what's going on. You don't belong in that weight class. Wow. Like, you're too small for that weight class. I, that's so shocking to me, and it gives me so much more respect. I've seen 
seen him training. I was down at ATT. Oh, he's an animal. He's the biggest, thickest guy. I mean, I looked but at him no, no, before no. I knew he's, him. And I went, but yeah. You're saying crazy talk. He's one, He's 5'7". He's a, that's a 170-pound yeah. man's friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a thick guy. He's if you're very that short, strong. I guess you have to suck down because you don't have the length. When you talk, like, look at his build. That's ridiculous. And that, and that by the way, another, by the way, another problem with a build like that is it makes for explosive power, no doubt about it. But... All that muscle requires fuel. You you really shouldn't have that much bodybuilder muscle on your body, mm. because as a fighter, that's not helping you. Right. It's not. It's that that stuff's weighing you down. It's causing you to have this this massive engine that you have to fuel, especially a three round or five round fight. Five right? rounders, especially yeah. Yeah. five for five rounders is the minutes. big ones. Yeah, if you look at the best fighters, like the the high level five round guys. They're, they're, they're in good shape. They're in great shape, but they never have that level of musculature. I mean, he's a thick fucking guy. He's going to fight Nate Marquardt. That's going to be out. It's a crazy fight. I can't wait to see that Well, fight. it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with the cut. It's probably a reason why he fought at 185. And one of the, some of the reasons some people just, they don't perform well when they're dieting. They don't it's perform hard. well. It's also, it kills your confidence in training. Sure. You, know, you start losing weight. You start feeling weaker. You start feeling like shit. You want to eat. You want to say, fuck it, I'm going back up at 185. You know, and it depends on how much weight is he going to actually cut. And has he done it before? Has he ever cut a shitload of weight right before a fight before? You know, because a lot of these guys, the week of the fight, they're cutting like 20 pounds. Right. And you know, they're dehydrating the shit out of themselves. Yeah. They feel terrible. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're like, some of them black out in the back room. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen guys that like, they had to get the fight canceled because they, they cut too much weight and then they like f- fucking fall down and bang their head Jesus. when they're when they're out back there talking to the doctor. It's not just happened once like the idea of someone like being really sick before a fight has happened many times right like 24 hours before you're supposed to go into a cage and throw kicks at each other and you can't even walk yeah you know that people's lungs collapse all kinds of weird oh crazy shit yeah Yeah. that happened to uh, Rory Rory, Markham Rory Markham Markham, when he fought Dan Hardy try to get down to 170 yeah his lung collapsed he was a big boy too one of those big country fed five foot eleven and a half fucking gorillas yeah, try, I remember Pat Miletic introduced me to him once a long time ago at the Hard Rock. He said, this is my, my best new up-and-coming 170. I was like, 170? Yeah. How is that guy 170? Yeah. Like, that's a football player. Ridiculous. Yeah. This... Well, how about Anthony Rumble Johnson <laughs> sucking down? I did a movie with He's him. He's fighting heavyweight was, now. He was walking around at 230 yeah. on the set of Warrior. I was like, you're going to suck down to what? What did you say? Well, he fought Arlovsky. He beat Arlovsky as a heavyweight. He yes, he did. He almost knocked him out in the first round. Wow. Had Arlovsky staggered, broke his jaw, had him all fucked Oof. up in the first round. And Arlovsky uh, managed to hang on and lose a decision. But- I, I have, that's the one thing about when I watched Arlovsky and how athletic he was, he ultimately didn't seem to have the – he didn't really become the UFC fighter he was supposed – people thought he was going to be. Um, well, he was the champion. I mean, at one point in time, he was the scariest guy on the planet. Mm. And Arlovsky, you know, he was knocking people out with one punch. But then he lost to Tim Sylvia, and then he came back, and, you know, they fought again, and Sylvia beat him again. Yeah. It's like, they, it, like, it's one of those things where you can only stay at the top for so long, and then it's the top in relationship to where the sport is at the moment. So in in that moment, when Arlovsky was the UFC heavyweight champion, that's where the sport was. Where the sport was, was it was at this spot where this guy who was this big, super fast, athletic kickboxer with lightning 
lightning quick reflexes was knocking guys like Paul Buentello silly. You know, he was knocking guys silly as a heavyweight. He was a super athlete. He was really like moved really well, but he started getting tagged. He lost a few by KO and then he loses his confidence and he starts getting KO'd on a regular basis. Yeah. He gets KO'd by Fedor. He gets KO'd by a couple other guys, including guys that he's supposed to beat. And, you know, it becomes uh, it becomes yeah. a real problem. Your confidence and everything else. Yeah, Brett Rogers KOs him in like the first 30 seconds of their fight, just storms after him and KOs him. You know, it's like he had like a real series of problems. He was fighting Fedor and was like going fight punch for punch with Fedor for most of the first round right. and then tries this crazy flying knee that and gets felt, that knocked felt like completely a, unconscious. Yeah, that felt like a lack of confidence. Like he tried to rush the fight, you know, jumping into that. I don't know. I don't think it's a lack of confidence. I think he just did something stupid. He just t- t- got crazy and he didn't didn't respect the guy's power or he just took a wild chance. Sometimes people take wild chances. Is John Jones going to go to heavyweight? Uh, he doesn't have to. He can fight at 205. He, can, he makes 205. I mean, I think he's a big kid. I think one day he's probably going to be the heavyweight, you know? I, was, I shouldn't game. say heavyweight champion. I sh- should say well, a heavyweight. He's going to get through Cain Velasquez and yeah. some other guys. He's going to have Daniel to be Cormier a heavyweight. Stuff like that. But it'll also be interesting when you see him fight as a heavyweight because, you know, how will he do against a really big guy that's naturally larger than him that, that could never fight at 205? And there are those guys. Like, you know... Like Shane Carwin's a perfect example. Shane Carwin ain't fighting two hundred five. No. Okay, he's got fucking cinder blocks that he calls hands. He's all his bones are giant and thick. He's like an ogre dude. You know, it's like that's how he's built. He's a giant motherfucker. You know, even when he's lean, he's like two fifty something like that. You know, he's a big fucking bone yeah. guy. He was two eighty five when I was hanging out with him on the the Ultimate Fighter. He's two eighty five. Yeah, but when you're seeing him, you're you're seeing him after years of foot. Ball. Like, there's a picture of him. You're seeing him after years of football. He had, like, serious back injuries, man. Yeah, yeah. He had, uh, he had a reti- couple surgeries. He had to retire. On a podcast. Yeah. Well, he has stenosis. And uh, stenosis is the short, the, the, uh, the canal where, like, the, the nerves are. starts getting impinged. And oh, the discs man. start degrading. And you start, like, getting numbness. And serious, serious issue for uh for combat athletes if you you taking a lot of shots and you start your discs start degenerating and you start getting numbness and losing like that's boss rutin's issue as well that's why he's had two neck surgeries and it's why he has one arm that's atrophied it's all the the nerves you know his nerves are getting impacted they're getting smushed they're getting cut off there's nothing they can do oh it's a fucking huge problem you have surgeries and shit i mean people have surgeries or they try to do it au natural they try to uh, do it with yoga and stretching and try to but they can't fight during that time you have to retire yeah, you, you have to retire, retire and you have to stop fighting and you know i think i mean carwin's got a family and uh i talked to him after his uh last surgery which about the one i don't know if he's had one since but the last surgery i talked to him about was like about a year and a half ago it was no it was a little over a year ago because it was at the ufc expo which just yeah. happened last yeah. you know a couple weeks ago and uh, he had just gotten out of the surgery, and he's like, I don't know when I'm going to be able to fight again. You know, I'm, I'm in training. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get it together. He's like, but it's hard. Well, know? I just talked to him um, recently, um, and he 
he uh, about uh, actually a week ago, and he, um, you know, he's just adjusting to retirement. It's really hard for a guy like that who is, you know, king of the beasts to have to retire. And like, he's got a lot to go back to. He's got a family, he's an electrical engineer, he's got a mm-hmm. career. But he, when I talked to him, he's on an oil field and he was looking around, and he was doing some work, and uh, it, it's 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 a big transition, a big emotional transition for for Shane. You know? Yeah. Well, it has to, man. It. it, it... You know, it has to be. It's really difficult to do, to transition from anything where you're a professional athlete with a finite career, whether it's basketball or baseball or football. They all all go through it. They all go through it. But for combat athletes, it's even harder because a lot of times when you're going through it, your body is just done when it's over. You're done. I mean, you have, like, some serious fucking problems. You know, all these guys are getting their knees fixed and their back fixed, and it's like... You can't train. I mean, you train no. that hard all the time. I'm sorry, but your your body is made of cartilage and bone, and it, and it mm. grinds away, man. And there's so many fighters that have like artificial discs or discs that are fused. Yeah, we went to Metamorphs. There was that guy who who won his match, Braulio Estima, and he's got a he's got an artificial disc in his neck. Yeah, it's like a titanium disc. Yeah, have they, they do ever that done in that? Europe. That's crazy. Yes, I've they never do heard it. Of that. They do it in Europe. They don't do it in America, but they do it in Europe. Wow. At least I don't think they do it. And in how America. does that? How does that? How does he find that? I guess it, it, he looked tough to me, man. He's, he's still a bad motherfucker, yeah. even with his his disc. I mean, he uh, he trains really hard, and I know he wins world championships and he beats like top 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 level guys. I like that community, that, that jiu-jitsu community. I, yeah. I had a really good feeling being at Metamorphs. That, yeah. that community is. Um, maybe it's a Brazilian thing. I just like them. They just they just seem like a tight group. Well, know? we've talked about this in the podcast before. The people that do jiu-jitsu and get really good at jiu-jitsu, they have healthy egos because you have to tap out on a regular basis. Uh, yeah. You have to. Yeah. Unless you're Hicks and Gracie and no one's tapped you since 1980, <laughs> you're getting tapped out on a regular basis. Yeah. It's just a part of the game. You're going in there, you're rolling with you know Bill Cooper and Salo Hibero, and you're rolling with a bunch of savages. They're strangling you. Yeah. And you, that's part of jiu-jitsu. You, know? you get tapped. I mean, I've been tapped by blue belts. You put yourself in a bad position, somebody catches them. If you're dumb, you, know, you don't tap, and then you get your arm broken. Because right. guess what? A, a 200-pound man who's a blue belt who catches an arm bar correctly- and if you're tired and, you know, it, it gets full extension, you have to fucking tap. That's Damn part. Right. It's what it is. It, it is what it is. And when you're doing that on a, a high level for a long time, you get a, a healthy ego because yeah. you're always getting your ass kicked. Yeah. You get your ass handed to you in training, especially when you do like those um, those drills where you do like at 10th Planet. We'll do like nine minutes of live sparring and then you have 30 seconds rest or a minute rest rather uh, where everybody grabs a drink and then you go to the next person for nine minutes. That's in two persons. You're doing 18 minutes of hand-to-hand fucking combat. That's a lot of you're gonna get tapped. Yeah, you're just gonna get tapped yeah. if you, unless you're the best guy, unless you're Eddie Bravo or you know one of the best. And even Eddie gets tapped occasionally if he goes with his black belts sure. or his brown belts, maybe even. You know, when you're when you're doing it on a regular basis and you're tired, you're gonna get fucking tapped. And if you don't do it on a regular basis and tired, then you're not gonna know the proper defense. You're not gonna know how to handle yourself and defend yourself when you're in a shitty situation. Uh, uh, watching Aiko get tapped by um, Aoki. Aoki, I mean, uh, by Cron Gracie. Yeah, and, and you could see the disappointment on his face because he's so good and yeah. everything else. But 
it was just, uh, you know, it's like it happens to everybody. You yep. make one mistake, one mistake, see ya. Yeah, a guy like Kron, he gets a hold of your neck, that's a wrap. He's, he's not going to let it go. Well, he's trained by the master. Yeah, you know, trained and, by the master. And he's legit. I mean, he's he's going to all, like, he's he trains with all the best guys on a regular basis. He's constantly got killers going to his gym. I mean, Henner he's Gracie competing told me. In a, on a high level on a regular basis. Yeah, I think it was Henner said, um, he goes, and he, when he rolls with Kron, he said, it, it's see, he's fighting for his life a lot of times. Nobody, sure. nobody puts him through the ringer like that guy. I mean, Henner's big. When your dad is Hickson fucking Gracie, just yeah. think about the amount of knowledge that he must have relayed to his son. Yeah. If you don't know jujitsu, you know Hickson Gracie is like. There's not a whole lot of sports where there's one guy who's universally recognized as the motherfucker right it's like the motherfucker of motherfuckers when it comes to jiu-jitsu is hicks and gracie because if you talk to anybody if you talk to hoist gracie if you talk to you know any of these guys and this is going on by the way by the way by the way in 1993 when the ufc was at first yeah. he said when Hoist was beating everybody in UFC 1, he was like, you should see my brother Hickson. My brother Hickson kills me. And he used to talk about that. Yeah. You know, the moment somebody it. beats me, you're in trouble because then my brother Hickson is going to join. And I remember it. Yeah. Dude, Hickson, if you watch the early days of the UFC, or the, he was fighting in Japan, Valley Tudo. Yeah. That's the... You want to see a documentary that'll get you Choke. into jiu-jitsu? Choke. Choke. It's a you and I watched it together. Wicked documentary. You and I watched yeah. that together. We were so quiet. <laughs> we were so. I think we we went out to dinner afterwards. And we were both so we were so awed and quiet. I remember you went. We, he was talking about how fear and intelligence yeah. are closely related. Yeah. And you went like this. You just you couldn't help yourself. Something you went. Listen to what he's saying, man. And I was like, <laughs> I am. I haven't said a thing, dude. You didn't have to shout at me. We were both so. Bunched up about it, yeah. and by the way, stud. Just yeah. by the how, how handsome yoga? is he? How about his yoga? Oh, forget it. Incredible flexibility uh, in a speedo. By the way, yeah. on, on uh, in Malibu. He said, "By the way, five yeah, I more don't care. times." You don't he, care because Hickson brings out the "by the way." <laughs> I gotta pee right now. Go ahead and pee. Uh, it's uh, it's amazing when there's one guy like that though that stands out. And I think one of the things. Go ahead and pee. I'll keep talking as if you were here. One, we'll talk about everything. Go pee. Um, one of the things about a, a guy like Hickson that's so fascinating is that what separates him from everybody else is not just his physicality. Like he's obviously very physical. He's got great flexibility. He's obviously very strong. If you looked at the old videos of Hoist Gracie when Hoist won the UFC, one of the things about Hoist that was so impressive was that he wasn't a physically imposing guy. Hoist was like 175 pounds. He was very thin and he didn't have big muscles. Hickson, on the other hand, is built like a Greek god. So it's not, he's not like muscular, like say, like a George St. Pierre. It was like more like a, a gymnast or something like that. That doesn't make any sense because George is kind of built like a gymnast. But he was like a little bit less muscular. Um, but he, he's a strong looking dude, like very obvious, but his, his thing was also the mind and also yoga. It wasn't just his technique and his physicality. It was also the fact that he was like a recognized yogi. So when everybody else was like doing steroids and, and running hills and shit with, you know, weights on their back and, 
and doing all this, uh, you know, all all these uh, different kinds of uh, bodybuilding sort of things. Hickson's doing this weird thing with his stomach, where he's sucking in his diaphragm, doing this uh, this yoga breathing technique that's really freaky to watch, where he can pull his stomach in and control his breath in this really astounding way. He's also insanely flexible, you know, like in every single way, in every single position. And is his yoga is like one of the more unique aspects of him as a martial artist because he can move in such strange ways because of the yoga. Like it's very rare that you get a guy who's really strong and really flexible. And that's what he was. On top of that, his fucking dad was Elio Gracie, who was maybe the most important man in the history of martial arts. You're talking about a guy who in Jesus, I mean, he was doing these jujitsu matches in the 1940s. He was learning these techniques that were taught to him by Maeda, by these uh, these Japanese judo guys. Fought this guy Kimura, which is uh, where that famous shoulder lock is named, the Kimura shoulder lock. He fought Elio Gracie, and Elio let the guy break his arm instead of tapping. That's how badass he is. Imagine growing up and that's your dad. Your dad decides to let some guy snap his arm Uh, in a chicken wing uh, because he doesn't want to tap. So he learned how to do small man jujitsu. He changed jujitsu because he was a little guy. He was only like 140 pounds. So because of that, he was scrapping with all these big dudes. He had to he called cook them he had to let them cook he couldn't just eat them raw he had to slowly tire these bitches <laughs> out cooking them call them cooking them <laughs> he had to slowly tire them out so he developed like a very extensive repertoire of techniques to use from the guard and he also developed the concept of protecting yourself in a real self-defense situation mm. ilio gracie long before the ufc was putting himself in these valley tuto matches where he would go out there and just duke it out with dudes like and they would like they'd put on these events in Brazil and he would have these no fights with limits. guys. And then his, his cousin, uh, Carlos, uh, well, was, there was a bunch of different, there was his it's brother, Carlson. His Carlson Gracie was his cousin and Carlson Gracie became like the most winningest guy. He was a bigger, stronger guy yeah. and he came in and beat some of the guys that Ilio couldn't beat. And But Ilio developed like not just a system of jiu-jitsu but a series of killers that were sons. I mean, his sons were Halson Gracie, Horn and Gracie, Hoist Gracie, Hicks and Gracie, Hoyler Gracie. I mean, there's never been a motherfucker ever who developed that many killers as sons. And then those guys go off and branch out, out into the world and spread jujitsu. The most astounding family in the history of martial arts, bar none. No question. Bar none is the Gracie family. They changed. They changed Mm -hmm. it all. They changed. And the the, the grandfather. They brought the truth to it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, all your kung fu and everything is no good in here, my friend. And it boils down. Down, in my opinion, all to the grandmaster because his it was his bro- it was Carlos for sure. Carlos Gracie was also very important in the development of it. But Elio was out there duking it out with guys, and he was small. He was a small guy, and because of that, and because of the impact of his sons, I think he's like the most important figure in the history of martial arts. I would I would argue that that's. that's- I don't think there's any denying. Yeah. Once the UFC came along, and his son, who wasn't even the best one, was d- killing everybody. He he sent in his son that wasn't even the best Isn't that one. Incredible. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? 
I remember him being this wrestling wizard, and I was watching him. And I was watching him going, oh, that doesn't look like, I don't know, it looks like kind of bad wrestling. I don't really get it. Well, he yeah, let guys take him down. Fight uh, off his back. Real. I mean, he fought Dan Severn. Dan Severn, 250 fucking yeah. pound giant wrestler. All of them. Awesome takedown. And he gets caught a triangle yeah. by this little skinny Choking guy. Choking Ken Tramrock and yeah. this weird thing. Yeah, the weird, he got him with a gi choke. He choked him with his gi. Yeah, look, Hoist Gracie was, that was an important moment for martial arts. And it was the first time also that we realized that, like, in the movies, it was always a little dude with skill that was beating the fuck out of all these guys. It was always Bruce Lee that was small but fast as fuck and using his martial arts to defeat much larger Samo Hung looking dudes, you know, or uh, who's the guy with the big muscles? Polo. Bolo, yeah, Bolo Young, right? So, you know, and Chuck Norris. Remember when Chuck Norris and him duked it out? Yeah. Chuck Norris is bigger and stronger, and Bruce Lee fucked him up. But in the real world, that didn't really happen that often. No. In the real world, those big guys sort of got a hold of you and beat your fucking head into yeah. a pulp. That's yeah. more of what most of us saw on a regular basis. So then when you have the craziest event in the history of martial arts, this, this cage fighting event where you're going to lock all these different styles in and find out who's the best... The odds that this one really technical small guy was going to win, they were astronomical as far yeah. as the martial arts community was concerned. Yeah. They thought that the biggest karate guy was going to win. Of you know, the, the biggest guy who can kick and punch hard. And a lot hard. of guys who were karate guys thought they were going to win because they'd never been tested. A lot mm-hmm. of guys, like judo, judo guys in there, karate, kung fu guys would mm-hmm. get in there, uh, Krav Maga guys. And they actually believed, because they had been training so long, that they were going to win until all of a sudden... They'd get caught in these weird chokes, arm bars, punched in the face. It was just a whole... Well, this is how little they knew about it. When guys got into certain positions, it got to a point where guys got into certain positions. They thought there was no escape in those positions, so they would just tap out. When Remco Pardo, who was like a really tough guy, fought Marco Huas, all Marco Huas did was mount him. Marco mounted him, and he's like, well, basically the fight's over. So he taps. He taps and Marco mounts him. Like that's like a regular basis that like happens all the time in high level fights. Yeah. Like think about Anderson Silva's first round with Chael Sonnen. Chael mounted him for like most of the first yeah. round in the second fight. Yeah. And then in the in the second round he came back and stopped him and knocked him out. Like the idea that a guy mounts you and the fight's over. Like that's how that's how much MMA and that's how much jujitsu has come Changed, along yeah. since the nineteen well, early nineteen well, nineties. We know that Anderson's gonna fight Chris Weidman again. Yes. It's gonna um, be December twenty eighth. You coming? Uh, I'm definitely coming. I'm doing the mirage I'm the night coming. before. Count me in. And and but the thing is, is that um, it's going to be. You did see how dominant Anderson was when he got into Chris's head, and then to fool around to that extent was just so. Insane. Well, I wouldn't say he was he was dominant. He was definitely hitting Weidman, and he was hitting him with a lot of leg kicks. Yeah. That was the big issue, yeah. and that was one thing that John Donaher was concerned about. I talked to Donaher after the fight. So this is how much of a mastermind John Donaher is. He's the jiu-jitsu coach, and yeah, like I love John by the way. He's a brilliant, John. brilliant guy. Yeah. But right after Weidman just knocks out Anderson, I I, I go up to him. I go congratulations, and he goes I was very concerned about the amount of leg kicks he was taking. He was already he just All knocked out Anderson for the next fight inside the octagon. He was thinking even the most spectacular result possible. Yeah. Not down Anderson Silva and he's like well, I'm not happy with the amount of leg kicks he was taking he wasn't defending the leg kicks correctly like this guy's like on it as well he should be exactly. you have to be in that game there can't be any you're the best kid no one's ever gonna beat you nah. he recognizes like this played out great but 
we got an issue. So because Anderson Silva seems to be able to see everything you're doing. It's going to be real interesting to see what happens in the sacrifice. It's going to be interesting to see if Anderson showboats it all again. It's going to be interesting to see how Weidman approaches it, how confident he is now. Weidman's getting better all the time. The fact that he knocked out Anderson Silva in his 10th fucking professional fight is insane. It's, it's also, though, a testament to Anderson Silva fucking around. Not really, because Weidman had him down on the ground and had him in a heel hook long before that. What's going to happen in the second fight? What if Weidman is six inches further down the knee when he wraps up that heel hook? And what if he uses the legs properly next time and laces them differently and locks up his hips so that he can't roll out of it and then rips his knee apart? Husamar Pajares style. I would tell you this. I would tell you this. Anderson's met... And dealt with wrestlers that are probably as good or no, better. No, no, he Weidman. hasn't. No, you're wrong. You're Chelsea, wrong. Chelson? You're wrong. Weidman's better. Not as good a wrestler Weidman's, as Weidman's better. Weidman's better. a freestyle wrestler. Weidman's better. Four-time All-American. Yeah. And not only that, not only is he better, he's bigger and faster and scarier because he's got vicious knockout power, which is what Chael Sonnen never had. Mm. Because he knocked out Uriah Hall, that kid who was the standout in the Ultimate Fighter, that mm. the one by wheel kick, the last uh, yeah. Ultimate Fighter. He knocked that guy out with a left hook. The same left hook that he knocked out Anderson with. He knocks people out. He knocked out Munoz with an elbow. He smashes people. He also puts people to sleep. He, you can't take anything away from that kid. No. He won that fight because Anderson Silva fucked up and he didn't respect him. He dropped his hands exactly. and he, and right. he got clipped. But Weidman still won that fight. There's a lot of fucking people that have been in that same situation, wouldn't have been able to do shit. He was able to do shit because he's a... Forrest Griffin and and, uh, Damian Maya. He's a motherfucker, dude. He's the real deal. The the, the question is, though, is Anderson more of a motherfucker and more of the real deal? And what Anderson are we going to see in that second fight? Because in that second fight, he's going to be so goddamn motivated. Yeah. I mean, there's nobody like Anderson Silva. No. I mean, he's just so far and away... Better than it seems. I don't know how he does it. I, I just, I, it's the craziest thing to me. Well, he's just a very good athlete. He's it's, incredible at what he does. He's been doing it forever. He's a master at Muay Thai, a master <laughs> at Jiu Jitsu. He's a master at MMA. He's but, a master. But he's still lost. And that's one, it's, it's a, there's a beautiful lesson in there for fighters. There's a beautiful lesson about hum, human beings. Mm. Even the greatest ever. If you clip him on the chin, they he's go unconscious. He's going out. That's just how it is. Clip him on the chin, he's going out. We ran out of time, man. Fucking show's Thanks over. Thanks for having me, buddy. You're the best. I love you. Love you. We're going November. Schomburg you, me. Improv this weekend. Please yeah. come. And then November, we're on Meat Eater again. I can't wait, dude. Do another episode. We're hunters now. When are we doing We're doing Toronto uh, the, the, 9th, the 18th? The 19th. 19th? September 19th. I'm uh, yeah. Callan and I are doing... Um, I don't know what the fuck it's called. The Sony something or something in yeah. Toronto. What is it called? Did I tell you already? Whatever it is. Whatever it um, is. You'll find it. It's almost sold out, though. I should tell you that. It's, uh, I think last time I checked, it was like three quarters. It's only been on sale for like a week. But it's uh, it's already like three quarters sold out. Or at least half sold out or something. It's the uh, Sony Center for the Performing Arts. I fucking love Toronto. It's one of my favorite places to go. Oh, they updated. Okay. There's still some tickets left. Um okay. The uh, Sony Center is a new place. I usually do uh, Massey Hall, but that's the same week as uh, Just for Laughs, the uh, the, the festival right, they have right, up right. there. Canada is just everybody loves to come to Canada. Uh, I love Canada. Canada. I love best. performing in Canada. It's so much fun. I'm doing uh, Calgary in uh, um, November, uh, yeah. October. Uh, Brian Callen dot com. C A L L E N 
dot com and follow him on Twitter because every time I look at his Twitter numbers, I get sad. You need <laughs> and some Brian Callen. How Brian much, Callen show? Are you on the? Uh, are, you, are you on the Twitter all the time? Are you, you tweeting yeah. all the time? Yeah, I'm just uh, not staying on top of that show. shit. Yeah, my podcast I've been doing thanks to you. I think I've got 75 episodes now. Beautiful. I'm getting great guests. So uh, Brian yeah, it's a, show. it's a fun podcast. It's yeah. a fun podcast. You, you do get a lot of interesting motherfuckers on it to too. Joe well, it's you know it's not you look. It's thanks to all these people that we're sort of connected to online. We're we're all sort of connected to all these interesting people that are willing to now do the show and then you get more yeah. and then you help them. And like, I just want, my job is just to inspire. I just want to take young people and show them that there's a world out there of people who can teach you stuff. I'm getting a sleep expert on. I'm getting, I just love doing it. I like getting, you know, I, I said, I think I'm getting Jared Diamond on who, who won a Pulitzer Prize for Guns, Germs, and Steel. And oh, it's a great book. What I'm realizing is all these guys who write these great books are sitting around in a room writing and they like to talk to people. And, and they don't get a chance to as much. Right. Why right. wouldn't they want to teach people like me? I right. learn every time I do something. Go me. check it out, you fucks. My, show, my new show uh, airs tomorrow night, which is um, the 24th of July on the Sci-Fi Channel. And it's called Joe Rogan Questions Everything. And Duncan Trussell is in the first episode with me. He goes looking for Bigfoot with me. And uh, Ari Shafir did some episodes as well. Uh, so uh, I'm bringing in uh, a lot of my friends. We're going to have some fun. Brian Cowell will, I'm sure, eventually do come. one. On. You will. All I right. love you, buddy. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody. We will see you tomorrow with uh, Duncan Trussell. He'll be on tomorrow. Um, and uh, thanks to uh, – oh, tomorrow night we're at the uh, Ice House, if you get this. We're having like a little party at the Ice House doing a little stand-up comedy show. Uh, it's so far Tom Segura, uh, Duncan Trussell, Brian Redband, me, and uh, I'm sure some other people will be there too. We always have a big show at the Ice House in Pasadena because we love them squarespace.com go use the code word Joe and the number 7 that's one word Joe and the number 7 and you will save yourself 10% you dirty freaks Squarespace is all you need to build a badass motherfucking website Easily. You can do it. I can do it. Everybody can do it. Thanks also to Onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Use the code name Rogan and stick it right up your pooper. How about that? Huh? Huh? Stick How about that? Stick it up your pooper. And then you save some money. No, you, you put it up your butt and you save uh, 10%. All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Uh, thank you for all the love. Thank you for all the links on Twitter. All the shit that you guys send me. It is the coolest connection. I just love the fact that it's this massive resource of information and cool videos and clips and websites and I, I can't say it enough i say it all the time but i can't say it enough i love you guys I appreciate the fuck out of you thank you very much Mwah. see you soon